Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, if you're tired of close jazz games and tension-filled games and losses, that was the game for you. Jazz grabbed a 12-point lead in the middle of the first quarter, never trailed. It did get down to one at one point. Uh, but they were up by 30 in the middle of the third quarter. The Jazz dominated Houston Rockets team that was torn to the ground and has to be rebuilt. So that should have been a big, easy win for the Jazz. And it was. Best of the postgame show coming up later in this hour. Joe Ingles with some interesting insight on... Jordan Clarkson, and uh, as far as the discussion PK and I always have about why Joe doesn't shoot more, Quinn Snyder addresses that in more detail than I've heard before, so stay tuned for that. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, John Beck, former BYU quarterback, now a quarterback coach in Southern California, talking about not just Travis Wilson, but all the quarterbacks at the top of the draft. And he's got an NFL expression that he's going to share with us, and you're going to want to keep it. It's a good one. It's a truth. It's a real truth about the NFL and about really all the pro sports. All right, John Beck next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Join Hanson, Scotty G, and The Big Show, Friday. They'll be at the warehouse from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom. Time now to welcome in John Beck, the former BYU quarterback, now a QB coach, training the next generation at 3D QB, and he's worked with Zach Wilson. John, good morning. Welcome back to the show. What's going on, guys? Well, I'm curious about many things, and obviously we have to talk NFL draft and the five quarterbacks at the top and, and your work with uh, – with Zach Wilson, but I'm curious personally first, if I'd gone 25 years ago to 14-year-old John Beck and told him that 39-year-old John Beck, what would have happened to him over the next 25 years and what he's doing now, what would 14-year-old John Beck have thought and said? He just said, no way, because 39-year-old John Beck is going to still be playing in the NFL. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> You were on the Tom Brady path. That was the plan, but uh, life sometimes doesn't go as you plan. But I'm super grateful for the thing that I do now. I love working with quarterbacks. I love helping mentor these young guys. I feel like uh, you know, life sometimes is about how you can use the, the the path that you had to travel. How can you use the experiences you gain to help others? And I, I think that's one of the biggest parts I enjoy about my job now. So all these guys, John, obviously had skill. You had it, too. That was abundant in watching you play. And everybody you're working with has it for sure, As they, whether they're going to college or whether they're preparing for the NFL. But from your experience and all that you've been through, because you've been through a lot of highs and lows as an actual player, what separates the ones who are able to not only survive but thrive? Well, the common person, I would say the common fan, calls it the it factor and that's the that's the way that they say oh well if he has it he succeeds if he doesn't have it that's probably why they fail right and that's that's probably what most people think but anybody that's lived it and played it knows it's way more than that because the thing that gets you there is so much of the it factor the thing that allows you to compete at that level 
and gives you opportunities where coaches say, all right, I think this guy can be our starter. That, those are all, all those it things play into that. The it is really a combination of a lot of things. It's like an equation. So when I look at the guys that make it and don't make it, there's the things that they control and the things that are out of their control. You have to have things out of your control that line up for you. Um, and I can share, I mean, hundreds of stories of just guys and their, their journeys and things that did and did not work out for them and the things that did not work out for them that it was out of their control and made their path difficult. Now, within the things that are within their control, these are things that matter to the person, right? How dedicated really are they? You can look at a person's day and just find out how they shape their schedule. How do they do the things that are going to help them succeed as a quarterback? If they really matter to them, they're making their day about those things. Everything is about improvement to become a quarterback. There's also resilience. There's a lot of guys that have had a lot of success leading up to the NFL, but the, because the NFL is such a crazy journey, and there's a phrase in the NFL that the NFL you go to sleep to may not be the NFL you wake up to. And players know that because there's days that players are told one thing, and that is true when they're told it by a head coach or a general manager, and then the following morning it changes. So you have to be really mentally tough, resilient. You have to be able to battle back. Uh, I, that, that, that's why when I see young quarterbacks – uh, kind of working their way up, wanting to be professionals, but they want the path to be just all rosy and, you know, uh, a golden path. I think, no, that's actually not what you want. You want to experience the ups and downs because that's what's going to prepare you for the NFL. And then the other thing you have to do is you just have to have this ultimate belief in yourself no matter what, that no matter the circumstances, no matter how many times you've been knocked down, you just have to always believe in yourself. I think those are really three key factors to give yourself the best chance because there's a ton of talented guys. You have to do all the things right, and it doesn't guarantee success, but it at least gives you the best chance for it. So, Zach, is he set up to succeed with the Jets? Are the things that, in his control, I think you would probably tell us he's maximized them. Assuming the Jets take him in number two, do the Jets have the things around him that he can't control that he needs to be successful? So I'm going to start with Zach. To this point, I'm so proud of Zach for all the things that he's done that, that are right. Um, he's just tenacious with his approach. He's relentless in the way that he works. He has a great mind for football. He has a great work ethic. He, work ethic. He's doing all the right things. What's going to happen now for him is he's going to have to refine that even more because he's used to being the college kid that is just so hungry for football, right? But you have like this other life. You have to be a student. You have to do these other things that kind of give you a little break from football. And I learned this lesson when I jumped into the pros. You, like, are so hungry for football, but now football becomes your job. You now have to learn how to be a pro where everything is football in your life. Now how do you balance out that, like, huge desire that you have to be great with also making sure that you learn how to be smart, how to step away, how to disengage? I believe the hardest part for people that are, you can say, gym rats that just soak up ball and they're always thinking it the hard part is is when that personality goes to a tough situation and things aren't necessarily going great it's very hard to turn that part of your mind and your emotions off for a little bit and step away because that type of person is already so invested that uh you know it hurts on the inside when things don't go good now going to the jets i think that they're doing everything they can to set up success uh, they have a, a really good staff that they put together. I know a lot of the guys on that staff, and they're going to do a lot of great things. And I have to say this, right? If the Jets um, pick Zach, because you know nothing's 100% uh, 
done yet. The ticket hasn't been given to the guy at draft. Um, but I think that they're going to try to do everything they possibly can. Now, here's the thing I will say in the NFL, because I experienced it. I've had friends that have experienced it. I believe every team has a plan to help the guy that they pick succeed and be their long-term starter. They're all trying to do that. But the reality of the NFL, like I said before, the NFL you go to bed to is not the one you wake up to. Things happen so fast. They change so much. There's a huge pressure to perform and win. And even though they may pick a guy and believe in that guy wholeheartedly, when that season starts playing out and then things start happening like injuries or coaches start facing heat because the team hasn't won in three, four, five games, right? Then people have to make decisions that a lot of the times it's, it's for their job it's for, or it's for what something like the, the organization feels may be best. And then that's the crazy part of the NFL. At this day and time, I believe if the Jets take Zach, they are going to do everything within their power over the next few years to make him the most successful quarterback he can be. They want him to be the long-term answer there, but they're doing it in the NFL, and that's the crazy part about the circumstances. So uh, and I interviewed you a million times when you played quarterback at BYU, and I always thought you were sort of like a scientist, you know. You were always trying to discover ways to be successful, and you understood the quarterback position deeply. And you also understood that the quarterback's job was to give interviews. And I can recall being down on the practice field, all those benches. You would hang out to make sure that everybody who needed you uh, got access to you, and as a, as a writer at that time, I, I greatly appreciated it. And my point for you is, I listened to that uh, podcast you did with Peter King, the NFL journalist, and you were talking about. We all know we heard on the broadcast of traveling down, and you were talking about Zach. Uh, being uh, he would go deliver food, I think, uh, on his off hours to make some spending money. So I wanted to ask you about the intangibles because it seems like from a distance, from a, from my perspective anyway, Zach Wilson really wants it and studies it in the way that you did. Is that a fair assessment as you analyze the intangibles that go into everything as far as being successful as an NFL quarterback? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's all types of different personalities that are quarterbacks. There's not like one personality that like everybody's trying to be that personality or trying to do it exactly one way to succeed at quarterback. You can succeed at quarterback a lot of different ways, playing styles, personality styles, mindsets. I mean, I can go down the list of guys that are just different from each other, but they're, they, they've all had some degree of success in college football and then on to the NFL. And I can show you guys that have the exact, basically, personality, mindset, decision-making processes as guys that have been largely successful in the NFL, and it's a guy that hasn't. And there's a ton of similarities in their game, in, their, like, in every aspect of it. And sometimes the guy that has, it hasn't worked out for has actually worked harder over the years than the guy that maybe has had a ton of success. So that's why things are crazy, and that's why I always say, like, you do what you can do to give yourself a chance. And I do believe that Zach Wilson... He has a great mindset, you know, uh, a, a great work ethic. It, it's been a joy for me, and I've, I've, I've just enjoyed my minutes with him, my time with him, because sometimes, and I don't know if this makes sense to everybody, but it makes sense to me. There are times that sometimes it's crazy, but I almost feel like I'm talking to my younger self. Hmm. And maybe that's why Zach and I feel like we click so well and connect so well, because, like, like I can say something in a way that it's like as if I'm giving my 20-year-old self advice on this end, and it like works for Zach, and he totally gets it. And I think that that's why this has been you know, such a good thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for the future. 
Uh, I do think that for all quarterbacks, there are parts of their makeup that for them they have to have. And I described a little bit in the beginning, but I see it through all the guys. So I'll just use the Greg, the draft class I had this year. So I, I had Zach, I had Justin Fields, I had Kyle Trask, I had KJ Costello. And then the last like month or so, a few weeks, I've had Trey Lance. All of these guys in their own way, I can see the it factor as it pertains to them. They've developed that up to this point in their life. The thing that they have to do is they have to keep refining it. It doesn't guarantee them anything, and that's why it's a refining process. All the experiences that they're going to go to, they're going to go to different teams, and they're all five going to have way different experiences. And those experiences are going to have either a positive or a negative effect on them. When they experience the things that are going to scar them or have a negative effect, that's when they really got to work on themselves. They got to hold strong to that belief in themselves. And then they're going to have to go out and do some extra work on how to deal with it. I don't care who you are. Chad Pennington always said this quote, I don't care who a quarterback is before he gets the scars in the NFL. You show the true quarterback you are after you receive the scars of the NFL. And that's why I say all five of those guys somewhere along the road are going to get them. Uh, it happens. Sometimes it happens year five with guys that have gone to the Super Bowl. And then a year later, they have a struggling season. And then their team is thinking about maybe letting them go. That is tough on guys. I've seen it happen to a number of guys. All these young guys have to do it. But going back to your original question, I do believe that Zach Wilson does so many right things. I believe the way that he has his makeup set right now is putting him in a good place. And then he's going to have to keep working at it. Man, John, you just packed so much information and answers. I, I, my head's spinning. I got like thirty things I want to ask you now. I don't even know where to <laughs> jump. I don't even know where to jump in. The, the fact that you've worked with so many of these top quarterbacks, uh, are you surprised to see them being five of the top nine picks? If you were the GMs, would you make them five of the top nine picks? Is there too much emphasis on quarterbacks? Because PK and I've been sitting here saying NFL history tells us that these teams are going to go in on these quarterbacks with these high picks, and at least half of them are going to move on three years later. The Sam Darnold story is very common. And we can go through NFL history. He's just the most recent example. If you went big picture and talked to the GMs about these quarterbacks, what would you say? So this is kind of wild that you're asking me these questions right now. Just last night I did a podcast for the general manager that drafted me at the Dolphins. And, you know, I thought I knew the total story of how everything worked out. And it's crazy for me. What was that now? Like 15 years ago I got drafted, something like that. And I can remember, like, feeling, like, just, like, dumped on my head. Like, you know, whatever the date was, April 27th or 29th, whatever it was of 2007, I get picked to be that team's quarterback. And when they fly me to the facility that next morning, they sit me down and say, you are our guy for the future. Here is our plan for you to be the long-term answer here. And here's what we're going to do. And I remember them you know, playing all that out. And it was awesome. It felt great, right? And what was it? Seven months later, eight months later, the entire building is fired. The owner sells the team. I mean, everybody just gets dumped on their heads. And I thought I knew the whole story. And I had a chance after the podcast ended, we got back on the phone. And as I was driving home, he and I were talking and he was telling me all these things that were happening behind the scenes. I had no clue. And this goes way deeper than me. This goes way back to Nick Saban, Drew Brees. This goes beyond just Bill Parcells coming to the Dolphins. I mean, this stretches so many different ways. And it was eye-opening for me to, like, 15 years later, hear all of these things. And it was just like, holy cow. What I thought was things out of my control has now just been magnified 10 more times if things are out of my control. You're absolutely right. All of these guys that I've helped, they're all going to land different situations. And the, the history of the NFL shows 
only a couple of these guys are probably going to have a chance at the success that they are working towards. I do believe when I see all of these guys, I can give comps to all of them of guys that have been successful. And at the same time, I can give comps to all of them of guys that by NFL terms have not been successful, right? And that's the tough part about this game. Um, I've seen receivers. I've seen linemen. I've seen tight ends. I've seen so many guys. I've seen guys that have insane potential. And then everybody goes, what happened to that guy after college? Man, he was unbelievable in college. And I can sit there and show you coaching changes, receiver coaching changes, scheme changes, injuries, all these different things. And, oh, wow, now I see why that was tough for that guy. And I can see how that happened. And in the key moment when he needed something to go good, the poor guy got injured. Or they fired the coordinator that brought that guy there, and then this new guy gets named the guy, and he just whitewashes the place. Had that coordinator stayed, he had a plan for that guy. So it's crazy. Um, I think there are better fits, of course, for everybody. If you could handpick, that would be more like what you get to do in college, right? The NFL draft is not a recruiting process. Uh, a lot of people come out of college having gone through a recruiting process and feeling like they want the same thing. You are not a recruit, and you do not get to pick which team you play for. They pick you. And that can sometimes be the greatest fortune you have, and that can sometimes be the most unfortunate thing that happens to you in your life. That's why I say resilience. When I talk to my guys, it's a muscle that you have to constantly be working. And that's why I say, and I think I said this a year plus ago on an interview with Ben Criddle, people were wondering, well, should Zach Wilson be the BYU quarterback? He had all these you know, ups and downs as a sophomore, and I just don't know if we can count on him to be the guy. In my mind, I was thinking, little do you people know how much those ups and downs are going to help this kid for his future, not only for college football, but he's going to go play in the NFL. That's how talented he is. What round he goes to, we can't determine that. But he's a talented enough player to go to the NFL. And you want to have gone through those ups and downs before you get there. Otherwise, it's a swift kick to the growing, as hard as can be, and you're on your knees barely breathing. <laughs> so you better be ready for the ups and downs. You better be flexing that, that resilient muscle so you can make it. Appreciate that description, John. That was well said uh, as far as that goes. <laughs> Are you so, talking about the fifth kick to the growing? That was exactly. Great Everybody just kind of cringed a little bit in their cars. Yes, uh, precisely. <laughs> you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, so we know that Zach was working with you while he was in college, and now he's going to move on to the NFL. BYU fans, uh, the quarterback job is open. Uh, if you're working with somebody who's on the in the competition right now, who is it, if you are? And then what do you think of that quarterback or quarterback? Maybe you're working with multiple. I don't know. Well, things are in the initial stages, right? So I don't want to be the one that comes out and kind of says that because I also don't want people to assume anything or, you know, think anything. I'm, I'm sure in its own due time um, it'll come out. I, you know, um, when I was working really hard to help Zach, it meant a lot to me to help Zach because I met him as an 18-year-old kid. Something that I feel when I'm around these guys that demonstrate the, the mindset and the work ethic that Zach had was, it just reminds me of a dream, right? I think there's a lot of boys and girls where, like, uh, it's something about in their nature where they can feel that dream at a young age, right? And they're very motivated and they want to get there. And as, as a coach, I can sense that. And, you know, you're not wrong if, if you don't have that during your teenage years. You know, there's nothing wrong with figuring it out a little bit later in life. But I am very passionate about people when they have a vision. And when I can see that someone has a vision, at this stage in my life, I'm there to help them. You know, 15 years ago was about me chasing my own one. But I, I, I love that when I see somebody that has a vision. And to be able to help somebody that plays at the very university that I played at, BYU meant a lot to me. Uh, I got there at a time when it was rough, right? And I can remember when I made that commitment, I had a lot of people close to me that wondered, why the crap would you go there? 
like that place is like spiraling downward and you have these other universities that are in way bigger conferences. Um, and you can like, if you win in that conference, you get to go play in the Rose Bowl. Like where does the Mountain West send you? But you know, there was something that felt right about it. And uh, I did not know how difficult it was going to be and how tough it is to lift something up that is in a tough place. But I look back now uh, as those are some of the most memorable times of my life. I love the work that I put in every single day on that field with those mountains right there. I love the challenges with my teammates. I miss my, that time with my teammates. I got to go to dinner with all my linemen when I came out for the pro day. Such a great memory to look back at the things you accomplished. So when I have an opportunity to work with a BYU quarterback, it means so much to me because it's helping the program. That university is a very, very special place. So, yes, I love when a, when like a BYU quarterback reaches out, and there is somebody that's reached out, and I do want to help him the most I possibly can, and I'm sure in his due time it'll come out. But I also don't want to set any expectations. Zach Wilson did something amazing. Nobody would have been able to foresee that he, this kid was going to go be in the number two pick potentially in the draft, right? Uh, eight months ago, everybody was wondering if he was going to be the starter at BYU. I love Zach's story. I would love to help somebody else with their, with their story, but it's, it's probably not going to look the exact same. But the thing that can look the same is the hard work, the dedication, the sacrifice, the downs. When that person you know, worked his butt off and didn't get a win and maybe missed something in the game or is looking back and finding a way to get better, to me, that's the awesome part of the journey that I, I miss as a player, but I love helping people without now. And uh, you know, hopefully the work that this quarterback and I put in over the next few years really helps him accomplish something great probably he's not going to look exactly like Zach's but for him and his story I hope it's something amazing because if he's doing that the university gets to enjoy another special season and that means a lot to me as well so I, I could easily talk to you for another hour I have so many things I want to run by you but PK and I've been talking about uh, the name image and likeness and the money that kids in college are going to be able to make off of that, especially the high-profile guys, which obviously is quarterbacks. Going back to your swift kick to the groin, and things are going to go wrong, and it is going to be humbling, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt your ego and your pride and your confidence. The name, image, and likeness, and the money that um, a hot prospect can get, even as they step on campus for the very first time before the very first practice, is that going to make it harder for some kids to succeed as quarterbacks? Is this going to be, as much as it sounds like a positive, is it end up going to be a negative and a hurdle? I think there will absolutely be drawbacks from it and negatives to it. Um, nowadays, I think it's unfortunate, but uh, there's a lot of me stuff going on. Um, and I think as I try to, I mean, I'm going to say this as a parent, okay? When I watch the world around my boys, I see a lot of people turning the phone on themselves. Right? I can't tell you how many times at the beach here in Southern California, I'm out there and I just see pe- people's phones turned back towards themselves. Right, And uh, I get concerned because, yes, you have to take care of yourself. Yes, you have to care about yourself enough and you've got to believe in yourself. But if you lack that, that thing inside you that's looking out for others because you're too concerned with yourself, you're missing out on some of the best things in life. You're going to miss out on some of those connections like – some of the best joys of my time at BYU are those times, like I just described, with my teammates. Well, if I'm so focused on myself and the money that I can make, am I truly connecting with my teammates like I need to? Because that is so much of the separating factor between a great team and an average team. It's that, it's that culture that's built within the players. And I do have worries that if guys go to a school, they may pick schools based on what they're being told they can personally make during their time there. You know, I wonder what type of people – are going to turn into, hey, you can hire me, 
and I can be the one that makes you money while you're in college, right? You may have these families, these recruits that may say, or even universities that may say, we can line you up with this person if you come to this school, and they will help you make this much money during your four to five years while you're here. And that can end up being a recruiting thing. And if a guy's choosing college football because of how much money he can make, college football will change. There's something great about college football that I hope gets protected. And, you know, hey, I think it's good for guys to make money. I'm going to say that as well. You invest so much time as a player, you do not have the time to go out and get a full-time job. And you're working extremely hard. And I shouldn't say you don't have time. It's all based upon what you choose, right? There are guys that can have a, a steady job while they're a football player. But I will say those guys are going to have a hard time finding time to make the sacrifice to be the best football player they can be. The guys that are prioritizing football, making that a huge, huge part of them trying to become a professional, it's going to be very hard for them to find time to make good money. So I do think it's a good thing to give guys an opportunity to make some money. Um, also, while they're doing so much for the university, I don't think it's a bad thing because of what they're doing that they get to you know, kind of be rewarded a little bit. I do worry in the recruiting process, and I do worry about the mindset. I do worry about in a generation where there's a lot of entitlement. Are there going to be some kids that feel entitled to a certain amount of money, and they feel gypped? If they went to a school and they're not getting the money that they thought they were going to get while they're at that school, what type of attitude are they going to have on the practice field, in the locker room, in the meeting rooms? That could be a drawback. And like I said, I hope the things that are great about college football get protected. I hope this change is not one of those things that hurts it. John, you're welcome back anytime. You probably got better things to do than talk to us, but we love having you on. (laughs) Uh, You guys are good. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. Yeah, you guys are welcome. We'll see you. There's John Beck. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show is the Jazz thrash the Rockets. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz with a blowout win over the Houston Rockets. Why does Joe Ingles' stat line get so much better when Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley is out? Coach Quinn Snyder is going to address that. And Joe with some interesting insight into Jordan Clarkson. Here's the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz won last night over the Rockets, 112-89. to Jordan Clarkson led the way with 22 points coming in off the bench. Joe Ingles, another terrific performance from Joe. 21 points, 7-11 shooting, 6 of 10 from 3, 6 rebounds and 4 assists. Stay tuned uh, later in the morning. Uh, the Joe Ingles Show with uh, DJ and PK coming up as uh, it does on Thursdays. Can't miss radio, of course. Rudy Gobert with 19 points, 18 rebounds to go along with two block shots last night. Mike Conley, 11 points, 13 assists. Mike Conley has now had 10-plus assists in four consecutive games. First time in his whole career he's done that. So pretty impressive stuff from Mike Conley. George Niang with 13 coming in off the bench. Uh, the Rockets uh, did not have a terrific performance, not a lot of resistance. Uh, 21 points from John Wall, but the Rockets uh, shot just 35% from the field, 20% from three, 10 of 49 as uh, the Jazz win going away. Let's uh, get going with the postgame sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Hi, coach. We'll get started with a question from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. 
Hey, Coach, what did this one show you about your team's mental readiness uh, to come in and take care of business like you guys did tonight? Well, you know, I think we've got a team that, you know, for the most part is, is focused. Um, there's always certain games in a 72-game season um, where that gets challenged. Um, but I thought tonight, you know, the way that we began the game and we continued to play that way, um, saw the ball move. And one of the biggest things was, you know, us getting back in transition. And, you know, we did a pretty good job of that, particularly early. And you know, when we can do that, make people play against us in half court, that's obviously a big deal for us. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, Mike and Rudy lead the NBA in plus minus. They had big plus minus numbers tonight. What is it about that combination of those two guys on the floor together that's led them to outscore opponents as much as they have? Well, it starts with the fact that they're both really good players. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things going back to last year that, you know, I've mentioned a number of times is it takes time for guys to find synergy playing. And we mentioned that with, you know, Mike when he was playing in Memphis, um, you know, playing with Mark, who's a great player, um, but a different player than Rudy. And those guys getting, getting, you know, finding that continuity together. And I think the more they've played together, they get, you know, they get to know each other and, um, you know, you enjoy playing with someone like that, that they're making plays for each other. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Coach, what, what do you want to see from, from Bojan? Just, you know, just overall about his process going into last uh, few games of the regular season and, and, and the playoffs? I want to see him do just what he did tonight. You know, I want to see him be aggressive with his shot. He's 6'8". And, you know, even if it's contested, you know, there's there's times when he can get that shot off. And there's other times when, you know, he'll shot fake and make a read. You know, I think as he as he attacks the basket, um, he's capable of of making plays. And the more he continues to get in there and make reads about whether he's going to finish or whether he's going to kick it out, um, I think he'll find himself getting to the foul line. Um, but really, the biggest thing that I think he's focused on, um, we can get obsessed about offense, and that's what we talk about the most. And you know, Royce had 14 rebounds tonight. You know, I saw Boyan mixing it up on the boards and that that's going to be one of the biggest things for our team going into the playoffs. He's going to take shots. He's going to make shots. Um, some nights he's going to make more than others, but the things that he needs to do to help our team win um, are the things that he did tonight where he was aggressive on the defensive glass and getting hits and keeping his man or other people off, off the defensive boards. And when we can do that and we can get out and transition and run, you know, good things happen for all of us offensively. Dana Green, ABC4. Quinn, when games that kind of get out of hand like this, um, do you have a target score, target time of the game where time to take the, the regulars out and give the younger guys uh, a run? Or is it just kind of a feel game to game? Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, you have all, you know, there, there's math that tells you about win probabilities. Um, but what those things don't take into account is particular lineups, um, who you're playing, 
um, who's in the game for the other team. Um, you know, you can win a game. You can be, you know, up 20 and win a game by four points. Um, you still win the game. Um, but at the same time, the, the game feels different. So we want to give our young guys a chance to play. I think it's important for them. You know, if we can get them some sort of continuity where they're playing more than just a few minutes at the end of the game, we want to do that. Um, you know, it's good for them from an experience standpoint. And you also, you know, you also want guys to play with other players that are in rotation. So, um, you know, kind of clearing the bench, so to speak, oftentimes isn't the best way to get those guys experience because when you do need them, you know, by and large, they're going to be in um, with other rotational players. So having the opportunity to, you know, have those guys get those types of minutes, I think is as much as important as, as the minutes themselves, you know, although um, that's important. And you're, you're always conscious of, of the obvious, you know, which is rest and health. Um, but oftentimes those are things that, you know, from a probability standpoint, um, you don't have uh, control over. And it's always um, unfortunate when you know, certain things happen at various points in the game and you're aware of that. Um, but, but as you said, by and large, it's, you know, it's feel, but it's feel that's dictated by, you know, a collection of factors. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When Joe always tells us he doesn't care whether he comes off the bench or whether he starts, but in these games where he has filled in for Don or Mike or whoever, is there anything functionally different about his game or is his increased production just purely the result of him getting some extra minutes? Um, you know, dating back to last year, I don't, I think Joe is consistent in what he said about that. I, I think the way that it was talked about was very different, um, because of the way that he started the year. If he's shooting 49% from the three point line, um, you know, that's a good thing. And I think part of that is, you know, Joe's fresh right now and some of it's dictated with matchups. You know, I, I think when he does come in the game, you know, sometimes if your your minutes are less limited um, or more limited, I should say, you know, you, you have less of a tendency to pace yourself. Um, but I don't think right now, Joe, coming off the bench or, or starting is really dictating how he's playing. He's playing a certain way um, and, and regardless of, you know, whether he's starting or finishing um, or playing in the middle of the game. But a lot of those things have to do with combinations. Um, and I just, I just want him to play a certain way. And that's the way that he's been playing. You know, oftentimes when Joe's the most effective is, is when he's really focused on his defense. And there's been a lot of times, and he'll tell you more than anybody, where, you know, people have been telling him to shoot. And it's easier said than done um, because we're not out there. And, you know, you don't have someone flying at you. But I think his aggressiveness shooting the ball um, has been consistent in, in either respect. But um, to your point, any time that, you know, certain players are out, be it Donovan or Mike or, you know, Fave, JC was out for a few games that, you know, guys feel that and they understand that, you know, oftentimes their productivity, um, you know, they need to be more aggressive because those are shots. It just comes down to usage. Um, but Joe can have a great game you know, and take 10 shots and have eight assists. He can have a great game and, you know, 
take 15 shots and have four assists. I, I think the thing that he's done the best is really he, he's been able to adjust to those situations, not just starting or coming off the bench. I think that's, you know, that that's an oversimplification of the situation for Joe. Um, I'm not saying that that isn't real because I, I definitely think it is. Um, but part of his maturity as a player has been his ability to, to do both those things and, and play the same way, just to, to have it dictated by the game. Last question, Sarah Todd, Desert News. Quinn, you mentioned Boyan keeping his guys off the glass. Um, and we see Jordan do that a lot too, boxing out really hard, even though he might not be getting the board. How important is it for, you know, both of those guys, even though they might not like reap the rewards of it, but to be able to get out and run? It, it's huge. You know, I, I don't think we can underestimate it, particularly when Rudy's contesting shots. Um, usually there's somebody under the glass that's bigger than us. And our ability to recognize those situations very quickly um, and not get pushed under the boards. You know, for us, sometimes that takes two guys. Um, someone's got to, you know, block them out from the front and someone's got to wedge them from the back. And, you know, that's just a mindset that we need. And, you know, particularly some of the rebounds that maybe aren't as obvious that, that get tipped um, and someone else comes up with it, that, that type of, kind of gang rebounding mentality is, is crucial to, you know, our success as a team. There's Coach Snyder. Jazz win 112-89 last night over the Houston Rockets. Let's get into the player sound. Let's start things off with Joe Ingles. Hey, Joe. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, I can. I'm trying to figure out how to change my background so I can have something cool. <laughs> All right. While you do that, we'll get started with Tony Jones, the athletic. Hey, Joe. Um what, um, you know, how important for, for you guys, if you guys are going to get to where you want to go, how important, you know, is Boyan's um, process going to be uh, just heading down the stretch and, and heading into the playoffs? Um, I missed the middle part of that. You said uh, how important is it going to be? If you guys are going to get to where you want to go, you know, which is your ultimate goal, how important is Boyan going to be to you guys and what you guys do uh, collectively as a team? Oh, that's the part I miss, boy. Um, yeah, I mean, extremely important. Um, it's, he's obviously a massive part of our team um, and what he does and what he brings to our group. Um, I think, like, for all of us, the most frustrating part is when he's not shooting it. We, <laughs> we all want him to shoot it probably more than he wants to shoot it um, at, at times. So um, I think for all of us, we, we're figuring out different things along the way. Um he had that kind of one little rough patch where, where he wasn't making some shots. And I think the the hesitation he had almost was, was probably more frustrating for us. Cause we, like I said, we want him to shoot the ball. We want him to be aggressive. Um, when he's pulling that, that three in transition where we can get a kick ahead and stuff like that. It's, it's a really good shot for him, but it's a really good shot for our team as well. So um, yeah, we need him to be aggressive um, on both ends of the floor. Um and I think more re obviously more recently he's been he's been making those shots. He's he's been getting downhill, um, finishing. I think he even he even attempted a couple of dunks, which was nice. So um yeah, huge huge part of what we do. And um yeah, we'll we'll keep him uh I'll make sure he keeps shooting the ball. Ryan Miller, KSL. 
Hey, Joe, um, according to Vegas, you and Jordan have the best two odds for six man of the year. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And have you, how have you guys kind of helped each other elevate each other's game this season? If it's got anything to do with Vegas and JC, I think he's got a good chance of winning it because uh, that's a good combination, those two. Um, I've never in my life, um, definitely not the last couple of years coming off the bench, um, honestly thought about it. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he does. I don't think he, I don't I mean, we've never honestly had a conversation about it or talked about it. He's never talked about it. Um, uh, at least not in front of our, our group or anything. Um, obviously if you're, you're leading the race for it, there's probably people telling you that. Um, but I don't think it, I mean, I can tell you it doesn't affect me or, or my thought going into a game. I would, I would be pretty confident saying the same thing for JC and, um, I mean, we take, I said it the other the day or week or so to someone else that we, I mean, we take pride in our roles coming off the bench. I think um, he's done it, I think, more or less his whole career. I think he said he started one year in LA, maybe a, a little bit there, but but his whole career has been that. Mine's been a bit of both. Everywhere I've played, I've um, kind of mixed in and out. Um, but, but we take pride in what we bring off the bench for, for this group and for this team. I think... Um, Fave and I coming in at that kind of seven, eight minute mark, whenever it is, take pride in that. And, and we know when JC's coming in, we're going to get him going. And um, I think we play well together. I think we help each other. I think we kind of complement each other well. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun out there playing with him. Um, I used to actually like think he was hilarious to watch when I played against him, just this, this how aggressive he is and, um, He's just always, kind of always, regardless of who's out there, how he's shooting, if he's shooting really well, if he's over ten, he he plays the same way, and um, it's uh, it's an honor to be teammates with him. I, uh, he's a hell of a teammate. I told you that. You guys should try and spend a weekend with him. He's a hell of a dude. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Joe, does having does knowing that your leading scorer in Donovan is going to be out for a week, does that change? how anyone approaches the game in terms of maybe I need to be a little more aggressive taking shots, or maybe I need to, you know, make sure that I'm looking to set up somebody else. Is, is there any kind of tangible impact just in terms of how you guys approach the game plan, knowing that he's out? Um, not, not really. Uh, I feel like, uh, I mean, I am confident saying it. We, we, we try and play the same way every night, regardless of who's in and out. I think, um, obviously with a, a guy of Donovan's talent and, and how important to our team is, we, we obviously miss him out there. Um, we've, we've done a, a good job this, this trip of, of obviously just kind of picking up the pieces a little bit. He's a, like I said, he's a, he's a massive part of what we do. There's no underlying or, or trying to get around that. And we're going to obviously, um, welcome him back <laughs> with, uh, with open arms, but, um, yeah, I think it's just uh, everyone realizes what what he brings to our team and what he does for our team. Um, so we all know we've we've got to kind of step up. I don't think it's no one's sitting there saying, "Hey, it's on Mike or it's on JC or it's on me or wh- whoever, um, whatever name you want to throw out there." We we all know as a collective group, um, and we've been through. I mean, a lot in my career here at the Jazz, but the last couple of years with. Um, with, with different guys, Mike last year a little bit, Boyan in the bubble. I missed a few games early on in the year. We've we've all missed games at some point, and we 
have kind of kind of figure it out a little bit along the way. Obviously, like I said, Donovan is such a, a big part of our group that you've um, a little bit we've got to kind of figure it out on on the fly because he doesn't miss many games at all. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's a collective effort. I think our team takes pride in. Um, I don't know what anyone said or what you guys said or if there was a chance that we weren't going to win games or it was going to be tougher, but we take pride in someone stepping like someone's out and, and we have to um, kind of all step up and, and play better. So um, yeah, can't wait to have him back. Means I get to play three or four extra less minutes. Stay fresh. Last question, Dana Green, ABC4. Joe, uh, Mike yeah, and I don't have to do media. That's the best part. When Donovan's back, I don't have to do this. <laughs> well, one more for you. Uh, Mike was a plus 46. Rudy was a plus 44. You were only a plus 15. Does that show how meaningless that stat is or, or what happened there? I think they play harder when I'm out there. They told me that they try and get the plus minus up when I'm out. So I look bad, um, which is incredibly selfish of our guys. But um, oh, I... Like, if you want my real honest opinion, I really couldn't give a enter word of choice. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, I mean, it, it obviously shows the impact those guys have on the game. I think there's no question in, oh, I don't know if it's a pointless stat or not. Like, uh, that's for the Twitter world to uh, have a conversation about, but. Yeah, I mean, it, if you tell me something like that it, and the number that that is, that's pretty ridiculously high number. So um, it shows the impact those guys have um, for sure. It's, if you said plus 10 or 15 or whatever it is, I think that's just kind of, that's the number you usually see, give or take. Um, but if you're in the 40s, that's, that's pretty impressive. So um, I don't know who or if anyone looks at that or people – I don't know. Is it a real, is, do people really take that to, you guys know more than I do. If someone's probably written an article on it, I know Andy's written some silly article on bloody plus minus or something. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't know. It doesn't, I couldn't care. Like, if, we, if we win the game and I'm minus whatever, like as long as we win, I'm, I'm cool. So I, like I said, I think it shows the impact those guys have for, for sure. Um, I couldn't care less about mine, but if they did talk about trying to keep mine down, then that's really selfish of them. That's Joe Ingles, 21.6 boards, four assists. Stay tuned to DJ and PK. Joe Ingles' show coming up should be in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, late in the 8 o'clock hour. Stay tuned for that. Let's move on now and hear from Mike Conley. All right, we'll get started with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Uh, hey, Mike, uh, I want to talk just about the plus and minus with you and Rudy tonight, I think 44 and then 46. I mean, coach Quinn Snyder just credited number one, how good you guys are, but also number two, the continuity. Um, Where is that continuity at? How would you best describe that? What is that synergy like on the court together now compared to, you know, what it once was? Well, um, you know, I think, we've learned each other's games uh, so well over the time we've had over the last year and a half. And, um, you know, with me getting a little bit more comfortable uh, in the offense and, um, and defensively to quite frankly, you know, me being able to, to, you know, give a little bit more on that end. I think he really enjoys that. And it kind of gets him going on the offensive end. It gets him running harder, uh, gets him setting harder screens and rolling, knowing that, 
Um, you know, I'm looking to make a play. I'm looking for him every time I come down. I'm looking to throw the lob. I'm looking for guys in the corner. So, you know, he just he just really feeds well off of, um, you know, just, just the unselfish nature that we have together. Dana Green, ABC4. Mike, what is this uh, team learning about itself w- playing without Donovan, winning without Donovan these last two games and playing really well these last two games? You know, well, you know, obviously with Donovan out, um, we're going to rely on a lot of a lot of different guys, you know, new faces, new roles. Um, you know, offense is going to be running a little differently. Defense is going to run a little differently. So um, we're just learning that we're, you know, we're a deep team. and We're able to be resilient through, you know, any highs and lows, through injuries, through um, guys with, you know, extended minutes, um, guys in, in new, new roles, new positions. So um, just just proud of the way we've been able to, you know, continue to be aggressive, continue to keep our mindset defensively, um, knowing that we're, getting, we're missing our, our main guy. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Mike, along those lines, pretty much anytime anyone from the backward has been out this year, whether it's you or Don or uh, JC missing those few games, we've seen Joe kind of have to step up his role a little bit. Um, what have you seen out of him? Does his approach change at all in terms of being more aggressive or is it just kind of him doing the same old thing and just having more minutes to do it in? You know, I, I was joking with Joe the other day that he, you know, when I'm out the game and, and I'm not playing, he goes for 30 and 40 points and has these phenomenal shooting nights and just looks all world. And when I come back, he doesn't shoot it at all. So um, we made it a point the last few games that now that we're playing together to make sure that he continues to stay aggressive regardless of who's on the court. And um, he's just done a great job of finding his spots. I mean, he's shooting the ball so well and so confident when he does. And, uh, you know, he has all the confidence of, of every one of us, his teammates, to go out there and make plays. And he's fun to watch, honestly. So um, just, just, just fun to be a part of uh, the journey with him. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. Mike, you're not really a huge assist guy kind of historically throughout your career, but you have like 50 over your last four games. What are you seeing differently that's allowing for that? Um, you know, I've never really been a part of a team like this in my career. So uh, this is a unique situation. I think guys are shooting the ball so well. There's a lot of space uh, with Rudy setting screens and rolling. Um, I've got a lot of options and, and I think it's different, obviously with Donovan out, uh, you know, I just have the ball a little bit more. So uh, I'm able to just, you know, kind of dissect and, and play the game and, you know, be the man I know I can be. And um, and that's the credit to our team and the coaching staff and the system. So I'm just, you know, just trying to play within that game. There is Mike Conley, 11 points, 13 assists for Mike. Again, his fourth consecutive game with 10-plus assists uh, for Mike Conley. Let's now wrap up the player sound with Boyan Bogdanovich. Hey, Boyan, we'll get started with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Bogey, coach was praising your aggression on the defensive glass. How much has that become more of a focal point for you? That was big time. I ended the game with zero rebounds. So. <laughs> no, no. I was guarding the, the Kelly Linick big guy, so I was trying to box him out so he don't get any offensive boards and then our, our guards and, and, and Rudy did a great job cleaning the glass and, and getting us to early early transition and easy points. Tony Jones, the athletic. Boyan, what is your focus individually 
uh, just on your process going into the stretch run of the regular season and heading into the playoffs? I just gotta gotta be ready. Try to work more on my on my shot, on my, on my three points. So when it's when it's coming to the to the line and in the playoffs, to be be able to to hit those big shots. And then again, I didn't have a didn't have a great game, but it was easy easy team win. So so just be be aggressive, especially when when Donovan is out right now to get my to get my game. Game back to be ready, like I said, in, uh, in the big moments in playoffs. Sarah Todd, does right news. Bouillon, can you feel that you know the season is winding down? Are you feeling like the playoffs are right around the corner, and it's time to you know start thinking about it and preparing for that? I mean, we are still fighting for the for number one spot, so we are we are still far far away from. Uh, from a player, there's a lot of teams that they are they already kind of know where they're gonna end up, and they are kind of more preparing for the playoffs. But we are still still fighting for for something. So we know that that the playoffs is around the corner. So the most important for us is is to stay healthy and get get Donovan back. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Well, knowing that. Don is out of the lineup and, you know, you're missing a guy who's been one of the hottest scorers in the NBA. Does that change how the rest of you guys kind of approach what you do out there? Does that put any more pressure on you to take shots? Do you see any difference in how Joe or Mike approach the game? No, I thought, I thought it was going to be different, but we are really playing, playing great basketball, moving the ball. Every other day we are ending up like with five, six players with the same, same number of shots. So, we are keep playing like we played with the, with the Donovan in the lineup, and I think that that's why we are we are playing good basketball and we are successful even even without our best player and our leader out out with injury. Last one, follow up from Sarah Todd. Well, Jan, um, you knew, you mentioned fighting for that number one spot, and in years past, you would have known that that would have, you know who maybe would have been in the eight seed, or it would have just been a couple teams. But now, whether you guys are one or two, it could be four or five, six teams down there because of the play-in tournament. Have you given any thought to what you think about the play-in or what it, what it might do for you guys trying to prepare for your opponent? I don't know. We can control who we're gonna play, who gonna who we're gonna play against. With, uh, Playing tournament, all we can control it's our our game and, and, and those 45, 48 minutes that we are we are in. I mean, we wanna we wanna lock in in the first place, so we got a we got a home court advantage to the, till the end because we are not here to to get out in the, in, the, in the first round or second round. We are here to to win it all, and and, and that's why we are fighting for for that prize. There's Boyan Bogdanovich. He had 14 points and four assists. The Jazz are now 44 and 15 on the season. Uh, the Suns won last night over the Sixers, so the Jazz still a game and a half up on the Suns in the Western Conference. Up next, the Utah Jazz take on the Minnesota Timberwolves at Vivint Arena coming up on Saturday night. That game will tip off at 7. Pre-game will begin at 6. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? The Suns do it again. Embiid did everything he could to prevent it. It would have been awesome if he pulled it off. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Now the front court, underhand scoop to Conley, tries to split the double team, bounces to Joe, he breaks the 45, retreats back out for a tough three. Oh, Joe, you're absurd. Clarkson, catch and shoot three in transition off the backhandle. Ingles grabs the rebound, chest to Bogdanovich, he'll try another three, he'll hit. Ingles driving, underhand, and run. Scoop, there it is. Lob to Rudy, he goes underneath, catches it, and dunks. And this is just looking like the varsity versus junior varsity. The Utah Jazz blow out the Houston Rockets 112-89. The Jazz push the lead up over 30 points in the middle of the third quarter. Clarkson with 22, Ingles with 21, Mike Conley the double-double with 11 points and 13 rebounds, and Rudy. He hadn't come out with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Would have had a 20-20 game. He finished with 19 points and 18 rebounds. The Houston Rockets <laughs> gutted their team, PK, and that was a wild mismatch. A 20-20 game. Who gives a crap about that? <laughs> Stats. The only stat that matters is W. Yeah, if they would have had Sterling Brown and uh, Porter Jr., but no, they had to go to the strip club. Come on, guys. Police called at 6.53 a.m.? In the morning? Jeez, my goodness. They win, the... they win early when it wasn't crowded. <laughs> no, I don't think they were. They were there late. Oh, <laughs> oh. how that work. Huh. Strip huh. club called the booby trap, by the way. A good pun. Thank What's you. What's the uh, best name strip club you've been to? The booby trap. Jazz off now for a couple days. They're going to play the Timberwolves Saturday at 7 p.m. Back-to-back with the Timberwolves now, Saturday and Monday. Saturday's home, Monday's on the road. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Randall straight on three. It's good. Little fake and floater over Hill. Randall with his 6-3 tonight. Here is Dodge. on the drive all the way to the rim for the flush. Oh, it's a straight line drive off that pick and roll. Kennard, one dribble, three ball on the way. It's good. Luke Kennard buries it from downtown. He has tied a career high with six made threes, and the Clippers have a 12-point lead, 109-97. CP3 takes one dribble, bends, shoots, missed it short. Rebound Embiid, lobs full court at the buzzer. It almost went in. Oh, my goodness, it rattled out, but the Suns win. 116-113, the final score. The shot everyone's talking about is the one that didn't go in. Embiid from about 80, 85 feet away. So close, PK. So close to tying that game up. Just grabbing a rebound. The free throw would have put would have put the Suns up by four and ended it. They missed it. So Embiid had that heave at the buzzer and freakishly close, but it didn't go in. Yeah, you realize you got how strong you are because it's not like he had a running start, nope. like an outfielder <laughs> catching a ball to get momentum on the throw to the plate. And he just caught it and he was flat-footed. And uh, it was an awkward-looking throw. It's not like it was a, like a baseball motion whatsoever or a football motion. And the darn thing was halfway down. And the look on Devin Booker's face, who happened to be standing underneath the basket, 
was just <laughs> incredible, man. He couldn't believe it. So the Suns 2-0 and on this trip. And I mean, the, the NBA, I mean, Mike Trout only bats four times. Half these guys only play four times in the regular season. Seth Curry's out. Ben Simmons out. I don't think Harris played. Well, what the hell is this, man? A lot what? of teams. The, the, yeah. the next game to go to, the Clippers beat the Grizzlies, and the Clippers didn't have their big two. No Kawhi Leonard. No Paul George. And then we heard the Luke Kennard highlight there. He went for 28. He had a game, and the Clippers beat the Grizzlies 117-105. But to your point, there are a lot of guys missing a lot of games. Yeah, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson for the Clippers was missing too. He was resting. Man, I'd rather see Trout only four at-bats a game and with a percentage of him playing over 90% of the games, unless he's injured, than these guys just resting left and right. I mean, it seems like every time I watch the Philadelphia team, they never have all their team. And it's just, my goodness, I don't understand this. Jazz next two opponents, the Kings and the Timberwolves. Kings win 128-125. Jazz play the Timberwolves. Saturday and Monday, and then the Kings after that. Buddy Heald, 29 points as the Kings win that game. The Nets, there's another team that's missing a lot of their star players on a regular basis. Harden is hurt and down for a while now. Raptors beat the Nets 114-103. to Nets seem like they had it going there for a while, but they have, they have hit a rough stretch. They had Irving, but they did not have Durant. Left thigh contusion, and Harden's out for a while. Back to square one, as Steve Nash said with Harden. Yeah, well, we'll wait till they get their guys. I'm not going to talk about the Nets until they have their guys. I want to talk about the Knicks, man. Finally, my Knicks, team of my childhood. Eight straight wins. Yep. Julius Randle, it's time to recognize him as a stud. 40 points, eight, uh, 11 rebounds. That's that's a massive stat line. And they win in overtime. They beat the Atlanta Hawks 137-127. And the Hawks, since their coaching change, they've been pretty good. And they are, they are battling for the fourth spot in the East. Yeah, Trey Young got hurt. But Julius Randle, man, he's a modern-day player shooting 40% from three, and he takes 5.3 a game. Changed his game over the course of his career. Steph Curry's 30-point streak ended. Wizards beat the Warriors. 118-114 the final score, and Steph Curry was held to 18 points, 2 of 14 from the three-point line. Yeah, he was due. He had been... Really, really hot. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Trusting the board is key. I'm at the point almost there that I will trust it. But as a coach, I can see where you, uh, we need this, we need this, and we need this. And that's where you get yourself in trouble. So it's been a great learning experience for me. And you ask your question, nervous. I'm nervous about everything. I think you know that. That's Urban Meyer. How's he feeling? The draft is coming up. Obviously, Jacksonville needs a lot of help, or they wouldn't have the number one pick in the draft. So he's nervous. Jacksonville, suddenly must watch TV for us, PK. Got to track, track the Jags. I don't know how often they'll be on TV in this part of the country, but if you got the NFL ticket, you can uh, track Urban Meyer and his progress this fall. Well, yeah, it's going to be fun, because if he succeeds, I don't know that there's ever been anybody like him that went from the college to the pro and had this type of success. Nick Saban bombed. Uh, Uh, Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson, I guess. Those would be the best examples. Yeah, but 
Urban's different because he moved around, and then Pete had it first in college and then went to the pros and didn't succeed first if you consider him not succeeding, what was it, with the Jets? Jets and and Patriots. It's it's similar, but uh, Urban... You know the the winning at the at Multiple so places. many different places, and you really have to throw Utah in there because Utah had done nothing like uh, what it did during his time, and obviously the other two places, which you know, those other two places they had won, particularly at Ohio State. I mean, everybody wins at Ohio State basically. But he, I mean, and then all the controversy that was around him. It's really just an incredible, better or worse type of story. Now let's see what he can do. And to think that he's not even 60 yet and all this experience, all these experiences that he went through, it's really amazing. NFL announced the full 2021 schedule for all 32 teams as the league prepares to play a 17-game regular season for the first time. Teams still have just the one bye week. Also, rule changes. It's going to be a one-year experiment in an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks. Teams will be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. Uh, they're getting rid of overtime in preseason games. And existing NFL replay officials who sit in the press box of each stadium will have the authority to consult with referees on certain specific objective aspects of a play when clear and obvious video evidence is present. Replay officials will not be able to throw flags or reverse calls on their own. How does this make it easier to recover onside kicks by limiting nine players? Well, I guess you'll have 11 guys trying to grab the ball, and they'll have nine, whereas before they would have 10 or 11, depending on how they deployed their guys, I guess. Oh, yeah, but I, I guess they don't really count the kicker as being one of those guys. The, so. Yeah, the kicker, if a kicker recovers an onside kick, it's not usually right at the end of the game when everybody right, knows right. it's coming. So it's, exactly. The kicker yeah, does yeah. it in the second or third quarter when nobody expects it, and he just scuffs the ball 10 yards down the middle of the field, and he and runs up and falls on it. back to go for right. a wedge and all that stuff. Yeah, you think their guys are asleep at the wheel, and they take off early, so you try to try to just dribble it up there when they're not paying attention, essentially. Right. I, I just I, I I get the theory, but I don't know that it'll have practicality. It seems like you need a bizarre bounce of the ball, no matter how many guys you have out there. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. The Huskies, Washington Huskies, star linebacker Zion Tupolo Fetui suffered a torn Achilles and will miss six to ten months. Coach Jimmy Lake making the announcement. Uh, He had been a third-team AP All-American and had seven sacks in the four-game Washington season. So a big loss for the the UW. Well, yeah, Washington returned everyone on defense, and I think they returned nine guys on offense. So they're expecting to have a breakout season uh, with this uh, ball club there with Jimmy Lake and his I guess you say his second season, even though obviously last year four games, hard to call it a season. Uh, but nevertheless, they're bringing back, just bringing back a ton of guys. And this, this is a blow because this kid was a very good player. So, but I think that my guess is they've got enough 
to sustain it. And, but it's a blow. It's certainly a blow to the individual, no question about it, because it looks like he might have been a – it still could be. It's not like it's it's done. But it looks like you have an opportunity to be an NFL player. So, But as far as the team goes, uh, I, I think they might be able to – what am I looking for? I don't know. Sustain is the right word, but uh, still be pretty good with all the players that they've got coming back. And they've got uh, was it's not uh, Brock Heward. What's the other Heward's kid? The other Heward who played there, Damon, uh, at uh, UW, the quarterback, Damon Heward's son. Right? Yeah, it's his son, Sam right? Heward. He's like supposed to be all that coming in as a freshman at quarterback. We'll see if he gets the job. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The pitch. Swung on, ripped into left field. It's a base hit. Harper froze a moment. Now into third. He's being waved home. Dickerson's throw to the plate is not in time as they beat the Giants 6-5. to five. Hit like a bullet. Fair past third. Royals win it. Perez comes through again in the clutch. He just hit a rope. Final score, 9-8 Royals. And the 1-2. Swung up, bounced to third base. Arise has it across the infield. He throws it away! He throws it away! And the A's have won it! Kemp is home! Andrews is home! Two errors in the inning by the Twins! And the A's winning streak is at 11! 13-12. Oakland wins a wild game with Minnesota in 10 innings. And 11 in a row. Unbelievable. After a horrific start, they won 11 in a row. They were 0-6, they were 1-7, and and now they've won 11 straight. Well, the uh, baseball network, they had the Phillies game on that we just heard with the Giants, and I was watching that. And then when that ended, uh, they cut away and went to this game. And I was watching. It's just beautiful. I mean, I know Oakland Stadium isn't great, but it looked like a warm day, particularly on these places where they're playing and these afternoon games, and it's literally snowing. In some of these places, Colorado Rockies game. At first, it was snowing a little. Then right. it was snowing hard, and they just right. kept playing. Well, the Reds and the Diamondbacks had to postpone. Yeah. I had to delay that game and finish it up yesterday. That they had snow. Well, the they had before. a game that uh, yeah, they they was suspended game, and then they continued it in the eighth inning yesterday. But that game was delayed. The start of that game was delayed because of snow. <laughs> yeah, and you so just look over there, and oh, and they fight. They did get it in, and then completed the next game. But it was bitter cold. It looked like guys had the masks on for COVID reasons, but it was really obviously for cold reasons. And then you look, uh, and they flicked on the A's game, and it just looked beautiful. Just the way baseball was meant to be played. Outside, the sunshine in the grass, and it's just an extremely wild game, as you said. And then they had the stat that no team that <laughs> come up with these baseball has these just bizarre stats. No team that ever has ever started 0-6 has gone on a 10-game winning streak, except for the A's, like in the history of the game. Well, I'm glad I know that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wonder how many teams started 0-6, first of all. They didn't have that out there, how many, how many teams were that. But, yeah, 0-6, 1-7, you think they suck. And now, wow, as, as bad as they were, this is as good as they are, and they've won 11 games in a row. It's incredible. They're 12-7 and seven now. They're tied with the Boston Rec- Red Sox for the best record in the American League. Although Seattle's 11-7, and seven, the Royals are 10-7, and seven, the Angels are 9-7, and seven, so there's a bunch of teams all kind of bunched up at the top of the AL. No bunching up at the top of the NL. The Dodgers are three games in front of the Giants, five up on the Padres. 
Dennison Lamette left after uh, just two innings, PK. Tightness in his right forearm. He's had arm issues before. He's getting an MRI today, so that's not good. And they lost the game and dropped back to 500. Uh, I think they've had just about enough of, uh, of the Brewers. Ready to move on. Give us the Dodgers again. We'll take our chances with those guys. Well, the Brewers swept them, but the yeah. Brewers are a good team. They lead their division. The Houston Astros, who uh, got off to a really good start, got beat by the Rockies in the snow 6-3. Houston has now lost 9 out of 10. They're just plummeting, PK. They are, yeah. People love to see them suffer and holler stuff at them. This is fans' first chance to let the Astros have it, and they've now sunk into last place in the AL West, seven and ten. Yeah, I'm conflicted there uh, because I think cheating. Once you open up the uh, thing of cheating, you know what is cheating? And their cheating was cheating, but we seem to look the other way. It's like the cars all going over the speed limit and on the freeway, and you pull out one of them. Okay, what about all of everybody else? Yeah. So, uh, especially in, especially in this case, because they dinged yeah. two clubs, and there were plenty of rumors and speculation that other teams were, if not doing the same thing, doing something similar, looking for that electronic advantage to try and tip the batters off. But man, that investigation, whatever happened, it just got quiet and shut down and stopped. And I just can't help but wonder if there's a third, fourth, or fifth team out there that got away. I mean, they didn't get named when the initial story broke. Nobody quote-unquote squealed, so they skated. So I think your analogy of, hey, what about that guy over there? He was doing 82. Yeah, well, I pulled you over. I think that applies here. Plus, I like Dusty Baker. Who doesn't like Dusty Baker? He's a... Is he a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a gem? A senior statesman. Oh, elder statesman. Elder statesman, thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah I thought he's, he got, the, he's he, really he got the shaft in Washington. It's like, well, we didn't win at all, so we're going to change managers. And then they did win it all. And plus, he's been a manager of uh, at least uh, two other clubs come to mind, obviously the Giants and the Cubs. So, and he's up there, man. And a friend of mine had an opportunity to see him in uh, at an airport in Hawaii. He said he was just as friendly as he could be to him. That is always going to uh, win you over, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was a random uh, interaction, but nevertheless, my friend talked to him a little bit and said he was just super nice. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, that's what's trending. They're the headlines brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Joe Ingles today coming up uh, about 8.35, 8.40. Craig Bullerjack is going to join us at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The transferring and that sort of thing that's turning into the Wild West. Listen to this tweet from Dick Vitale. Players are informed School X will offer you if you get in the portal. That violates why the rule was put into play. It's not ideal. And I understand their abuses, but I don't think they overwhelm the freedom individuals should have. Which they do have. You can transfer wherever. You just couldn't have a scholarship the next year at another well, spot. That, for a lot of people, that makes it very difficult. Or you could have a scholarship and just not play. You're still going to school. It's up to coaches to make their 
their programs attractive enough to keep their players. I think it's another excuse for money to change hands. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup of Jerry Seiner Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Time for the question of the day. The Suns beat the Sixers to go 2-0 on their eastern swing and keep the pressure on the Jazz. Are they forcing the Jazz to abandon any ideas of resting players? Short answer, no. Correct answer, yes. <laughs> well, I think you make an assumption at the start of it. The Jazz are, uh, are going to spend a lot of time resting players. Maybe in back-to-backs. So we'll have to see when we get to these last two back-to-backs. But I just don't think, you know, they, they got two days off now. They didn't rest anybody last night with two days off. I don't think they're going to rest anybody Saturday. And when they get to a back-to-back, if Donovan's not back, and if Conley is out... I can see maybe they would. And would that force them, would the standings force them to keep Gobert in the lineup? Uh, I'm just, maybe, but I'm not convinced Donovan won't be back, at which point that's where you could say, okay, they just can't afford to. But we're getting to May 1st. They can't. We can be wherever. We can be whatever date you want. If they want the number one seed, they can't rest, guys. Well, are you sure the Suns are going to keep this up on their Eastern swing? I mean, they're just going to sweep through this thing? I don't know how much about it is the Suns. I think it's their opponents who keep resting guys. Well, that doesn't hurt. It helps extremely. <laughs> right. No Simmons. I mean, Thank you. And Curry and Harris, that's three starters, right? I double-checked the box score, but I watched the game, and I don't remember Harris being in there. I didn't look at the box score this morning. I looked at it last night. So unless my mind slips between now and last night, that's three starters. Uh, that they they had out and you know like, what, what the freak here man and obviously Simmons is a high profile guy uh, they they were fortunate in that um, uh, Antetokounmpo the other night had a leg cramp uh, at the towards the end of the game right. and so he didn't play at the end I, I don't think it's a long term deal uh, but he did cramp and then he immediately went down on the sideline and started doing a stretching move so. I haven't followed up on it, but I think it was a cramp. So that was just a uh, a fortunate circumstance for them. They still might have won the game. Uh, you know, they beat Milwaukee the first time they played them. And my, I'm on the record of saying I think Milwaukee's okay. They're a decent team, but I don't think they're a big-time contender. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the teams that they play because this this resting stuff is just all over the place. It's a plague for the league, and, and I know NBA homers don't like to talk about it, but nevertheless, i I, I got to have some shred of credibility and truth here or else I bring nothing to the employer, and I think it's a problem. So I, it looks like it's not really about the Suns, it's about their opponents. And the Suns are a good team, though. You can't deny that they're a good team. I mean, Devin Booker was having an awful shooting night, and he hit a really, really tough fadeaway jumper with the shot clock. Just, man, it's very few players can make that type of shot to give them the cushion that they needed because the Sixers hit a couple of late threes to bring it close, to bring it a one-possession game. And at that time, uh, that, that could have helped them lose the game. So the Suns are a good team for sure. I think they've proven that. 
But it looks like to me that they're going to continue to win. And so if the Jazz want the number one seed, they're going to have to do it. I don't know that they need the number one seed. You can debate the merits of wanting to have the number one seed. But it looks like they're going to have to play their guys if they want the number one seed. Plus they've got – they still have a game left with Phoenix, right, next week? They do. April 30th. What is that? That's like a week from tomorrow. It's a week from tomorrow, yeah. A Friday night game. Yeah, that'll be fun. And that's down in Phoenix, and the Suns uh, fans down there are starting to gather some momentum, obviously. I got my sister texting me after Suns games, and she had – I've told you about it, and you brought up a good point. You know, she's a Suns fan, but I said she's kind of gone uh, dark with them, and you said, well, that's because they forced her to go dark. And mm-hmm. you're right. They've been bad for so many years. For a franchise, that was pretty doggone good as far they really as – Winning a number of games, they hadn't won the title, obviously, but they were still a lot of, very consistent with the winning. A lot of fifty-win seasons, a yeah. lot of times where they won a playoff series or two. I mean, they were like yeah. the Jazz; they'd been to two NBA Finals, they hadn't won them. Uh, they'd had to rebuild, but they'd never spent a long time rebuilding. And then this last decade, I mean, just completely Ooh. different than everything that came before in their history. It was awful. Yeah, it was Sacramento Clipper like. Uh, in, the, in those two, maybe war, Warrior-like. Warriors were good and then went through a 14-, 15-year spell where they weren't. Uh, but the Clippers are in a good spell right now. Sacramento, we know their history of they had a good few years and then they sucked again and still it sucked. So people are rallying. So that's going to be a big game there uh, as far as that goes. Uh, I just think that the Jazz, they're going to have to make a decision. Do we do we really want the number one seed? And at what cost do we want? And they probably, obviously, they've already had these discussions and they've looked ahead. I'm not so worried about Gobert at 27. It's the guys over 30. You know, how do you want them? Joe's playing big minutes. Obviously, Conley and Bogdanovich. Those are my three guys. I think Gobert, uh, because of the fact that he has that week off, as you've mentioned, from mm-hmm. the end of the regular season, the start of the postseason at 27 years of age he ought to be able to be fine Uh, so I don't know that you really need to rest him you may just keep him out just for odds of injury prevention I guess that's a possibility or maybe he does have something that's nagging him they don't really like to talk about it Uh, but Quinn said he did yeah okay so that's that's something to I just think you go case by case like Conley I believe, will not play in back-to-backs, regardless of what the standings say, because they want Mike Conley and his hamstrings to be healthy for the playoffs. So I think regardless of what it means for the Suns and the number 1 seed, Conley will rest. I also think now that Mitchell's missing this time, he will not rest. He's essentially getting his rest during this injury. So I think 24 years old. Right. Rest does he need? Exactly. And and he's going to be out a week or two. He's not going to need to take more games off. He's going to have that other week so, coming so up. So the situation is dictating it. The situation, sure. and it's, that's why I'm like, yeah, well, short fine. answer, no. Uh, Conley, yes. Conley will rest, I believe. Um, Donovan will not. Joe wants to play, so I think he probably doesn't. It doesn't go- matter whether they want to play or not. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to play. You're insinuating that the other guys don't want to play once you say Joe wants to play. Joe, I'm going back to the bubble last year. Even in the games when they were resting people, Joe played like, uh, I think, like 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, you know, he still had to streak at that point. Maybe they're keeping that going. I don't know what they were yeah, doing. Yeah, but the other right. guy sat and he didn't. So it's kind of like, okay, Joe really wants to play. And maybe it was some guys of the out there. That, that's, and that's true, too. <laughs> 
So I think it comes down to uh, Gobert and, you know, Royce. I think the others you can kind of predict, and the answer isn't the same for the other guys. But, you know, will they give Gobert and Royce another night off and a back-to-back? And, and, and Royce is an interesting case study because he's young, too. What's he, 27? But he works like a dog out there, man. Yeah, I know, Having right? to guard guys and having to – for his rebounding, mm-hmm. for not being that tall of an NBA player. He's tall for a guy on the street, obviously. But his rebounding is very, very important to the team, guarding the guys that he guards and expecting to have some left on offense. So even though he's a younger player, uh, I can see giving him some rest to make sure he's 100%. He's a vital player for this team. You know, a lot of stuff that's not box score showable uh, that he does that helps the team win. There's no question about that. Very, very valuable. And so they may want to consider that as far as that goes. I could understand that because he ought to be really tired after most games because it seems like he has the most uh, – he gives the most in terms of having to guard somebody. And then he really can't take off on offense. It's not like he's an integral part of the offense, but – and it's not like completely, well, anything he gives you is icing on the cake. I don't think that either uh, because he needs to make shots when appropriate. You can't just Ricky Rubio him and not guard him whatsoever in the postseason. That's not going to work. So I can see where they would want to give them give him rest. But I still think they have to make a decision. How bad do they want that number one seed? He's a 37% three-point shooter this year. Which is good. It's not great. I think you got to get to forty before you really get fired up about it. But at thirty-seven percent, you really can't afford to leave him as a as an opponent. Well, we'll be interested to see how much time they uh, they give him off. I mean, he's uh, he's the same age as Gobert, so I guess right. he'll. Uh, I think he has his birthday during the playoffs. He's a June birthday, so he'll turn twenty-eight. But points the same. Yeah, and he expends a lot of energy each game. Big time. Big time. He's always chasing around an elite offensive player, usually the best one. And that on the perimeter, then he's got to go back to rebound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's and playing he, the full court. He had 13. He got a shout-out from Quinn in the postgame. He had 13 rebounds last night. Right. Yeah, that's awesome for his size. Yep. And and it and they, they're not a real, really tall team outside of Gobert. Bogdanovich is tall, but he's not a rebounder. <laughs> so you, know, you yeah. need somebody else. And O'Neal has filled that void, and he's filled it very well. So the issue of rest will be case by case throughout the roster, and then how much will it be impacted by the standings? Oh, I think significantly, don't you? If the Suns suddenly start losing, which doesn't seem likely. No, but the thing is they don't need to lose a lot. Like two losses would change this race dramatically. And if one of them, if the Jazz win in Phoenix, I mean, that's a two-game swing on April 30th, then that gives them a lot of cushion. Sure, but they're 0-2 against these guys this year. Yeah, they may not. It's hard to beat a team three times. It's more a playoff thing than a regular season team, regular season thing. Uh, yeah, I don't buy any of that. I think it's hard to beat a team, the team you're playing right then and there, not what happened in December. Uh, I, don't, I just don't see where that has any bearing. But the Suns, it seems like... They've made a commitment because Chris Paul hasn't rested. And he's 35 years old. And it seems like they're making a commitment to win as many games as they could possibly win. Right? That's, it seems like just watching okay, them so, from a distance. So here's a question for you. 
and people can hit us up on uh, this. Do you think the one seed is that big an advantage? Now, obviously, you'd have home court in Game 7 if the Jazz and Suns square off, but are they both going to make it through the second round? Are they going to knock off the Lakers and the Clippers or the Nuggets and the Clippers, you know, whoever it is that they match up with? Are yeah, but I don't both... think they're competing against the Suns, though. Or exclusively competing against the Suns. Think the Clippers still have a shot at the top spot? Yes. yes. Clippers could catch, if the Suns, you know, lose to the Knicks, we've got a long winning streak here. Uh, Boston's up and down. You know, I, I, the Suns are playing well, but, you know, it was just three games ago that they lost to the Spurs. It was a total head-scratcher. It was just complete head-scratcher. And so, if they drop a couple games, Phoenix is, I mean, yes, they're only a game and a half behind the Jazz, but they're only a game and a half in front of the Clippers. Okay, and it was a head-scratcher that the Jazz lost to the Wizards. So. Yep. Go back and forth, and and I just think that too. Uh, you, you have to make a decision. What do you want? And it's not just the seventh game that you're talking about. It's where do you want to be in the bracket? And, who do you want to play, and who do you want to avoid? You think you got a great matchup? You think you got an awful uh, matchup? Yeah, I don't know that they think there's uh, an awful matchup there. It's I would go more along more difficult matchup. What their line of thinking is there, and of course they'll never speak publicly on that, nor would I expect them uh, to. And, Not, neither you know, the Jazz, nor the Suns, nor the Clippers. Well, no one's going to say yeah. that. We want to be on this side of the bracket because we think Team XYZ is easier. Yeah, I mean, you just can't say that because then that just fires the up pro, that team and makes it yeah, harder. I, and I and I think that that's a little overstated at the pro ranks, but it's still there. I think that's more of a college thing, uh, but definitely it's it's there. So why do it? Uh, and also, too, uh, you know, wh- which teams uh, maybe do you think that you can beat in six or five that will allow you to have rest to go to the next round to be prepared? You know, because that yep. was that one year with the Jazz, they uh, who they play. Somebody was a hard fought series. Was it Denver? And then they had to go to Seattle. 48 hours later, and they basically gave him a game mm-hmm. in a series, if I remember, went seven. seven. The Jazz, yep. they were gassed, and so they basically gave him a game. Uh, so Look was, at you. Wow. Suns, Way into the member banks. Yeah, I can't remember the year very well. They but played this, a seven-gamer with the Sonics. Uh, I don't remember who they played the series before. I thought it was Was San it and, Denver? And they went but uh, maybe. seven games, Denver, after they had a 3-1 lead or 3-0 lead, and Denver won three that, I think, yeah, anyway. Uh, so the, the, the Sonics basically only had to win three. I, so the, all that stuff factors in. I do think when you get the home court, uh, if you're the higher seed in the series, the chance to get out of there in five and have three or four days off is underrated. And right. if you're the if you have the home court advantage, all you have to do win your home games and split games three and four on the road, and you're done in five, and you are yeah, out of yeah. there. And so it's not even as game seven that you're worried about. No, it's what's the scenario yep. you just said. Yeah. And I think for a team that hasn't a lot of, had a lot of playoff success, the Jazz have won what two playoff series in a decade. Um, Conley's won more because he was with another team, obviously. Um, but I think that also the ability to play at home and have a better chance of winning those first two games and feeling better about yourself. Yeah. You know, like, hey, we're up 2-0. We're doing well. 
I know the series doesn't start, Pat Riley, until you oh, win on the road. That's a bunch of crap. The series <laughs> starts game one, the first minute of game one. That never made any sense to me. That was And Riley, you know, I He hammered that. He hammered that. But it didn't make any sense. He was trying to keep his guys focused. It just never made – but it's still, it just yeah. never made any sense to me. And I, and I hear people repeat it today, and I think it's dumb. And I think, too – you know, when you got a coaching staff and you give them two or three days where they can really hone in on an opponent, mm-hmm. the possibility of playing Team A or Team B, I think that gives them an advantage. You want you want all that stuff. Even the Lakers want that, along with their tremendous talent that they have at the top of their roster. Everybody would want every possible advantage. Doesn't mean you're going to win the next series, but of course you want that. And that all goes in. I I totally agree with you that that's an underrated uh, line of thinking to win two home games and do what you need to do, split, come home, win game five, and and you're done. Done. Absolutely. I think that's a big, big deal. Four days off, and, and guys do have injuries, whether they fell and hurt their wrist or, you know, they caught an elbow somewhere or they've sprained, you know. And that's more likely in the yeah. postseason because it's way more physical, way mm-hmm. more intense. All those things that factor into it. That's well, an excellent point you bring up. Thank you. Thank you very much. DJ and PK, a lot of your reaction. we got a lot from you coming up. We will get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. What Joe's doing is historic. You take, I think at five threes, only Kyle Korver has ever had a better shooting season in the history of the league, which was interestingly on that 60-win Hawks team that the Jazz get compared to the most. I have a statistic I call points gained, which is you take the players' possessions or scoring opportunities in a night, comparing to what an average player would do with those. Steph's obviously number one in the league. Joe's the seventh most positively important offensive player in the NBA. The league still doesn't quite understand the value of 50% from three. Like, it's, it's a crazy number. It's game-changing, and it's why we win. I can make a pretty good argument Joe Ingles is our best offensive player this year. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part... By SNS Roofing, their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now. Where you can save thousands on a new roof, call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. All right, PK, you're playing with the walking wounded. The Jazz aren't the only one who have people who aren't 100%. I got my Senget shot yesterday. Yak's getting his Senget vaccination today. But I did not want a DNP general soreness. Who was it that had a DNP general soreness? There was an NBA player. Was it a spur? Do you remember? And we laughed about it. Knowing Popovich's reputation, it probably was. Oh, Mike Marshall of the Dodgers? Okay. Yeah. DNP general soreness. I didn't want to take a DNP general soreness. Wasn't he the guy who did traffic when we first started? That was General Gridlock. Oh, okay. I got my general soreness. General Gridlock. Columns have stalled marching out of Davis County. Yeah, that kind of stuff. General Gridlock is a legend, okay? Well, but did you prefer JT, the traffic babe? DJ, what'd you do this weekend? I worked, JT. Remember the weekend? I was on Channel 2. Thanks for watching. DJ, what'd you do this weekend? I worked, JT. Like every other weekend. <laughs> yeah, but didn't you have any, you, 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 that's only eight hours at most. Didn't you have any intimate time with Honey? Maybe, but I didn't want to tell, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to tell JT, the traffic babe, about it. 
I like when she used to whine about her loser voice. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> I had to go out and mow the lawn. He was in there playing video games. He's out there mowing the lawn in my swimsuit, and people slowed down, and you should put some clothes on. I'm in your religious neighborhood in Sandy, PK. People are very judgmental about how I mow the lawn. <laughs> That's where religious neighborhood in Sandy came from. That specific. <laughs> he was inside. He let her mow the lawn while he played video games. <laughs> My wife refuses to mow the lawn. She will not mow the lawn under any circumstance. That's one thing she says. That is a man's job, and it must be done. Sometimes you have to set boundaries. That's that's her line in the sand, or I guess her line in the grass. It is, yeah. Whereas, and our next door neighbors, they're two ladies. The mown lawn would never get mowed then. Well, I guess they get hired out. Lawnmowing companies. No, they have one who does it. You just leave it at that. And they have a very nice lawn, too. Very, They keep very, very good care of their property. No dandelions. No. Oh, no, that's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, interestingly, you say that because both sides of where we live, mm-hmm. ladies mow the lawn. But your wife's like, yeah, I'm not doing it. She, she has never, ever done it. Never. Has never done it once. Mrs. K, showing some mental toughness, sticking to her guns. Let it go. Ah, white fighter. Not that I would anyway. Would, whatever. I just find it interesting that that's in her mind. She would, not that she would do it, but she'd just as soon change the oil <laughs> rather than mow the lawn. She does so much. She does like 95% of the stuff around here. But mowing the lawn is That's the one. Water. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'll handle a lot of this, but I'm not doing that. She'll she'll help me pull weeds and, and you know, the basic uh, yard care. care that goes yeah. around yard maintenance that doesn't include mowing the lawn. But she won't uh, edge or mow. So I got to do it. Ah. Ah. Unfortunately, last year we bought a new lawnmower because the other lawnmower sucked. <laughs> and she said I came back looking like I was in the jungles uh, and I had camouflage because green would get all over me. And <laughs> it spraying grass all so, over the place. <laughs> yeah, it would take so long because the lawnmower sucked. And so, you know, I'm cheap as can be. I hate to spend money because I never had money growing up. And not that I'm rich by any stretch, but I do have money to cover basic necessities now for sure. And uh, so she convinced me last year at this time, we're going to Home Depot. And so we went and we got a, we popped down a $500 mower and it has made all the difference. <laughs> Big upgrade. <laughs> a massive upgrade. Yes. My, my whole attitude has changed now when it comes to lawn mowing days because it's made a massive difference. There it is. I don't even know how we got on that topic there. That was random. It started with, uh, I got my second vaccination yesterday, and Yach's getting his today, and we just uh, rattled right through it and ended up there. That was a good stream of consciousness work right there. (laughs) (laughs) Just just rolling along. All right, DJ. May your vaccines work and everything be great for you. Exactly. That's what we're hoping for. And everybody else. And, And just for people who do wonder, I did have the chills last night and all that kind of stuff, but I woke up. I don't feel good now, but I feel better than I did. So hopefully that was the worst of it last night. I got the shot well, at like 11 a.m. I feel great, man. I feel like a million bucks. I got to tell you, uh, you know, big round of applause for all the people at the Maverick Center. That's where I got both of my vaccination shots. 
And they're out there. I mean, it was so windy yesterday. They looked so uncomfortable, but they kept that thing moving. It was very little weight. It was, uh, it was efficient. So it was outside? Yeah, you, it was in your car. It was a drive-thru. You, they've got these, uh-huh. um, they've got these like metal trailer kind of temporary office things. They got tents next to them, and you pull yeah, up yeah. and they check you in, and uh, you know your name and your birth date and all that. And make sure you are who you are. Any reaction to the first shot? And so like you have to questions. show ID. Is that what you're telling me? The first time I did. This time I reached for it. And he says, "No, I don't need that." That's no. interesting. Okay. And so uh, then I drove forward. They got all the cones, and I was like the first car. I didn't have to wait for anybody this time. Last time I was like. I don't know, third or fourth or something, drove right up to the next spot, and there were two cars, and there were two of the medical people giving shots, and I didn't wait two minutes. And they were wrapping up with them, and then they then they give you the spiel, like, okay, you're going to go over here, uh, dr- follow the cones, sit. you're going to wait for 15 minutes yeah. to make sure you don't have a reaction. If you start, if, you, if you're having any kind of medical issue at all, just honk your horn and flash your lights, and somebody will be right there. And, and I, I did ask her, I said, how often does that happen? She goes, not very. And I'm like, well, like, it's not very, like, once a day or ten times a day? And she said, well, yesterday that was my job. I was over there, and it didn't happen once. I didn't have anybody yesterday. Zero. It's like, oh, oh boring. okay. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, I knew, I knew about the fifth because my wife got them, mm-hmm. and so she got it inside a gym at the school district, and so I had to sit in the car. Yeah. But it wasn't, you're right, I was sitting there maybe 20, 25 minutes. That yeah, I moved right along. the 15-minute uh, wait period, I guess right. you would call it. Yeah. That was super efficient. So I pulled over there and waited in line, and they actually have people in pairs walking up down the cars waving at you to see if you're capable of waving back. I'm sure that's what they were doing. Like, like did he pass out with his eyes open? Because it was windy. Everybody had their windows up, so you couldn't really talk or see. And most people are sitting there, you know, looking at their phone, texting or checking. So this was a medical achievement for you, considering some of your prior issues. Hey, this is uh, this was a win. I, I tried to raise my arm over my head right then to celebrate, and I couldn't do it. Ah, that shoulder's sore. But whatever. It'll be better. <laughs> I wasn't taking a DNP general soreness, though. I was coming in, dang it. Well, uh, just so you uh, are aware, we already had somebody lined up in case uh, you couldn't make it. Well, here I am. Who'd you call off? Who'd you have lined up? Who's the fallback? Who did we have coming in? Yeah. Uh, it was going to be on remote. I had Tiger. <laughs> Tiger. <laughs> Tiger. Tiger. Live from Jupiter, Florida. <laughs> Tiger Woods. Right. Right. Well, he didn't have to get up early in the morning. Yeah. I know. It's 10 a.m. there for him. Right, yeah. Move to the East Coast. Do morning drive radio on the West Coast. It's way well, more convenient. Yeah, right? <laughs> and you can stream everything now. Everything's Zoom. You can't go anywhere anyway. You no longer have to be local to do local sports. You can be anywhere. Well, hopefully at some point, practices and whatnot, that stuff's going to change. Uh, you were the one who said earlier, and I mean, you can argue with it because it's the future. We don't really know. But you're the one who said if you were the youth, you keep doing it because it gives you more control. Right, that's their perspective. But from Not our perspective, I hope perspective. they go back, right? No, I get if that's what they wanted to do. And I would imagine Kyle's got to love it because you're doing it at 8 o'clock in the morning and then it's over with. And then when you have practice, you can go right to the film room or go meet your wife for dinner or whatever else you want to do and, and get that stuff done. Absolutely, I would think that that's what they would want to do. Yeah, Get it done as soon as possible and get it done in such an efficient manner. And you control. Uh, you don't have to say last. You don't just have to butt in in a group setting. It's and, and the one thing that's been nice is that you don't have to 
rush to huddle around the guy yeah. and try to make sure you got your microphone up by his mouth. Not Kyle's not a mumbler, and I just use him as an example because they've been doing it this way. The the Cougars do it in the uh, in the evening around six o'clock if that's what they whatever whatever works. But it, clearly, it's more efficient from their perspective, and if that's what they want. That's what they want. I, if I was a beat guy back in the old days, it would bug me, but it really doesn't matter now. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. The Suns beat the Sixers to go 2-0 on their Eastern swing, keep the pressure on the Jazz, stay a game and a half back. Are they forcing the Jazz to abandon any idea of resting players? Got a lot of reaction from you, including what is the real value of a one or two seed, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Zero Res. When I get the carpets and tile cleaned, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean, and I won't have it any other way. $33 per room clean. Carpenter tile, April only. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. Question of the day. Suns beat the Sixers to go 2-0 on their Eastern swing, keep the pressure on the Jazz. Are they forcing the Jazz to abandon any ideas of resting players? I think it's case by case. I don't think the Jazz are going to abandon anything they're doing with Mike Conley. His hamstrings are, uh, are critical to their success, and they're not going to risk him with back-to-backs, and I think he'll keep sitting back-to-back. But the Suns have nothing to do with that. They've already made that decision a long time ago. What do you mean? The Jazz have already made the decision that Conley's not playing back-to-backs. He's either uh-huh. going to rest the first one or the second one. Right. But that decision was made long before we got down the stretch run and the Suns haven't wilted or the Suns haven't faded or, get this, the Suns haven't set. <laughs> yeah, there it is. It took a while. You were all around it. You focus in on the target. Right. Bullseye. you got to warm up the crowd, man. Exactly. Sing your best song right in the first one. <laughs> So, you know, that's the way they've already made that decision, irregardless of what the Suns are doing. These other decisions now are made with far more information, and it's totally understandable. Conley is somewhat of an – he's not injury-prone, but he has a little bit of an injury history, and a hammy is a tender thing, obviously, and can go at any moment, can strain at any moment, whatever yep. you want to say there. So that that, that is completely uh, – totally understandable, and he's such a weapon – that you know they haven't had in the postseason for a good while. I realize they had it last year, but he missed the what? He missed one game. He missed two games. Well, I can't remember with the birth of his child. So they didn't even really have that entirely. So you want that entirely because this cha- this team has a chance to go to the NBA Finals. So you want to nurse that situation and do it in the appropriate manners. No question about it. And, but the, everything else now is going to be made with the idea of the Suns not going away. I think regardless of whether the Suns do or don't go away, whether they lose a couple games at this Eastern trip or go home and lose to the Clippers and lose to the Jazz, I don't think they're going to rest Donovan, uh, Donovan Mitchell because he's missing a bunch of games right now. This is, if he needs games off, he's getting games off. So why, would you miss a 20, why would you rest a 24-year-old? Yeah. So it comes down to, and we decided this earlier, really, what are they going to do with Gobert, and what are they going to do with Royce O'Neal? Royce spends a lot of energy, and Gobert, Quinn kind of alluded to something that Rudy had going on, and they sat him that one game against the Lakers. So we got a lot of reaction rolling in here. Uh, Jacob says the two-seed might not be so bad this year. Rather, might not be. 
rather play the Clippers than play the— but First off, first round, two versus seven, you don't have any idea who seven's going to be because seven is going to play eight. And at this point, there's only a half game between six and seven. You know, Dallas is seven right now, but they could move out of this playing thing. They're only a half game behind Portland. So there's so many potential opponents that is the one and two seed, you don't know who the seven and eight are going to be. You have no idea. You can't arrange for anything. You have no clue. Well, but if you're worried about that, then you're in a whole bunch right. of trouble. So then it's set. so right now uh, the two seed, the threes, the Clippers. I, I don't think they'll drop down to four, and the Nuggets and Lakers. I think will be four and five. I don't know what order they'll be and who'll have home court, but I think they should be four and five. So would you rather be the two seed and play the Clippers, or would you rather be the one seed and get the Nuggets or the Lakers? Okay. Would I rather be punched in the face or kicked in the groin? <laughs> right. <laughs> Pick so, your poison. Yeah, I suppose I would rather have, if the Lakers are fully healthy, I'd rather have the Clippers, but it's by a hair. Yeah. And so I don't know that it really is going to matter. And I I, I like the, the, the Nuggets one again last night, and Portland had Damon Lillard back. Yep. He didn't shoot the ball well, but the – the Nuggets are now 4-0, and zero, I think, without Jamal Murray. Uh, so good for them, finding ways to win. Uh, I would like to see that Laker-Denver series go 7. And obviously you want to see Denver win uh, from the Jazz perspective. If for another reason, then if you don't win, the Lakers don't win. And LeBron finding himself uh, in, with his tweets yesterday, I suppose some people get turned off by that. And, I don't really care what LeBron thinks politically. I know what he thinks every time he speaks or tweets. I already know what he's going to say, just like Steve and Greg. I mean, and I know what those guys are going to say. They've said it over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's their right as Americans, so so be it. But I imagine there's a lot of people that now don't want LeBron to win because of that. But it's the Lakers and all that stuff, so I get that you would want Denver to win. So at least if you don't win, that you don't have to stomach the Lakers winning again. I understand the fan. Any, anybody but the Lakers. Sure, yeah, I get I get all that. Uh, but at the same time, I think they're going to win. And so would I rather face them or the Clippers? Yeah, that, that's a tough situation either way. Because if Paul George, if he is does in the postseason what he's doing now, they're as legitimate as anybody. And I might even pick them to be the favorite. I think that's the kind of thing you say on radio. When push comes to shove, you're going to pick the Lakers as the favorite. Now, if the Lakers aren't healthy, then everyone will well, recalibrate. Yeah. But, 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 you, but the if will be right there when you're making the prediction. So it's not really a true prediction because you're putting a major clause in it. <laughs> So if he plays like this, they're going to win. All right. Well, that's that's looking back, and then you're covered either way. Well, right. see, he played like that. Yeah. Well, he didn't play like that. Well, see, I told you. <laughs> that, that's my kind of prediction, man. You can't lose. <laughs> nice. Parker says people shouldn't be resting to begin with. They get paid millions of dollars to play basketball. Big picture, I get why you say that, Parker, but I think you got to take individual stuff like Conley's hamstrings, uh, into uh, into account, but that's but, see, that's not that's really a, resting to me. Uh, and again, that depends on how you take it and how you. That's spend injury it. management, right? And Parker, if if you're more um, looking at guys who are younger and healthier and who are still only playing, you know, fifty or sixty games, uh, it's it's frustrating 
to get all fired up for a big game, especially if you're a fan and you've spent money to go to a game. And I realize there's, you know, in some places either fewer or no fans, you know, depending on where you go. Uh, so it's kind of a different deal this year. But it's frustrating to pay for a game and then a guy just doesn't play. And you're there to see the stars. And we got a lot. You covered this in the 7 o'clock hour. There are a lot of stars taking a lot of games off, but there's also a lot of what I think we would describe as high-end role players taking a lot of games off, too. Well, starters. Yeah, right. They're starters. Well, you went through the Sixers last night. You know, it's uh, Simmons is a star. He didn't play. Embiid did. Uh, but Harris didn't play. so And Seth Curry didn't play. Right. So He's not a star, but he's a starter on that team. Or he has been. If not, he's one of the first guys off the bench. But, yeah. And you're watching that game from the Jazz perspective. You're frustrated. Because you want to see the Suns drop a couple of games. Yep. And give yourself a little cushion there. Because the truth is, I think that you wouldn't mind seeing the Jazz players rest a little bit <laughs> and still take first. That's the best of the both, is that uh, they're not extended. Gru- like last night wasn't really grueling minutes anyway. Nope. nope. Uh, but you don't want them to be extended to fight for something while LeBron and AD are sipping pina coladas at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Before we begin the fourth quarter, let's take a live look at LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Man, I just thought AD, when they took the shot at him during the Jazz Laker game on Monday, he had a look on his face like, this is boring. I know oh, who's sure. I yeah. know who's going to win this game. I yeah. just can't wait to be back out I think there. he's coming back tonight, right? Yeah, that's the that's the I mean I, I hesitate to say yes for sure is that they were because they about? get that's what they're talking about. He but is they, expected to be available to play. Exactly. Yeah. And I think he probably will, but I don't want to guarantee it because at five o'clock they can just say, Nope, uh, something happened in the pregame warm ups and we're gonna be careful and we're gonna hold on for one more game. You know, but yeah, I, I he is about ready to come back and it could happen tonight. Well, he's got to get out there at some point. Yeah, and he just looked like he was just way over all of this, you know. Jeff Hornacek a long time ago said, I- I'm here to play basketball. I'm not here to watch basketball. Sitting on the bench is boring. I want to play. He says, I know you can't play all 48 minutes, but the best part of the game is when you're out there playing. And AD's had to sit a long time. Yeah, I've never understood these guys who don't want to play because I don't understand that mindset because – Especially as you start to get around 30, you start to realize, this puppy, I've got way less ahead of me yep. than I have uh, behind me. And so get out there and play because it's, it's unlike anything else. I mean, you, the older you get, the more you appreciate everything. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Every, anybody can tell you that. So uh, I would think that he would want to get back out there and fun. That's this is, and Especially when you're really, really good at it. <laughs> you'd think that the, you'd, you'd want to do it because not that it necessarily comes easy to you, but the fact is you're super good at it, so you want to get it. So they're going to be out there. So from the Jazz perspective, I don't know that playing the Lakers is any great walk in the park. The one or two seed, I mean, I mean there's something to be said that, you know, you had the one seed. Is there anything, does that, does that mean anything? Forget about the pairings and the brackets but that you were the best team in the conference, likely to be, that would mean, best team in the league. Does, does that mean anything over a 72-game season? I think it probably depends on the player. And if that gives you a little more confidence, uh, then, yeah, it does mean something. You know, and look in there and say, we're the top dog. Everybody, everybody had injuries. We may not have had as many, which the Jazz haven't had as many, but everybody's had some. You know, obviously the Lakers have uh, have had a rougher rougher go with the injuries, but I think it can give you a little confidence. Absolutely. 
and you've come this far, why not get it? I think there's a strong argument to be made for that. Get every little I, advantage you can, and it's not a I big deal. I think they are going to get it. I do, too. They will get it. I do, too, and I, I still I may, I may have to take all of this back, but I still think the Suns are going to lose a couple games here at the end of the month. You know, and it's a good start to the road trip and credit them for winning close games. And, yeah, they've had some breaks, but there's always a little bit of luck in the mix. That's no different for them or anybody else this year or any other given year. You know, so it just if it happens, it happens. You know, because there's they, a they lot in this league. There's a lot of teams that are OK. And then there's a lot of teams that aren't OK. Or there's some teams that aren't OK. And there's a bunch of teams that are OK. And I believe that without a player or two, as long as it's not Gobert, <laughs> that the Jazz can beat those okay to not okay teams. So they don't even need everybody to beat those guys. Gobert's a different animal. Are you because... talking about the Houston, Minnesota, and Sacramento stretch that we're well, in Well, right certainly, now? obviously. That, you're that, th- you're talking even teams that are the 500-ish teams. Dallas, Portland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those types of, I believe that the Jazz can, they don't well, need Donovan Mitchell to beat those teams. The Jazz record when they're missing Mitchell or Conley or Ingles is very good. I'd have to go add it up, but I, I think it's somewhere in right. like the 14 and 2 range or something like that. So, yeah, to your point, they have enough depth that if they lose, they don't have enough depth to replace Rudy. But with the other Nobody guys, does. they have enough depth that in the short run, they can make it work. You know, if you get into the playoffs and you're missing one of those guys, I don't know that you can make it work. But in the regular season, you can. And they well, have. we're only talking about re- right. regular and season they have. right now. Yeah. And then they almost did it against Denver last year. Yep. And and in did Conley miss one or two games? I mean, at I that think, point, they're missing two of their five. I think he missed two, but I'd have to go back and look. So I'm do not I. Sure. And they pushed it to seven. Bogey plays zero, and Conley plays five. Uh, that's not bad. That that's showing you that they have some depth there, and the depth is basically the same. And I think that even though the players are the same, I think they have more depth this year. Uh, Favors obviously is in there, and he's a difference from compared to last year. And I think Niang is a much better player now. Maybe it's not that he's better; he's just playing with more confidence. Maybe that's just it. Whatever it might be. But anyway, the point being, he's giving you much more of a contribution this year. Unless I'm misremembering. I don't think you are. I think that, and I think those two things go hand in hand. You play a little better, you have more confidence. You have more confidence, you play a little better. You know, it's a whole cycle you go through. And I think if there's one thing he does now that I have more confidence in him than I used to, it's his ability when they close out on him, he thinks he's got an open three and somebody throws him the ball, he puts it on the floor and goes to the hoop. And he's got, got a big body. He does. And uh, they made the point on the on the Houston broadcast, I think Thurl made it, well, he had to play a lot of four in college, so he's yeah. got confidence when he gets into the paint. Um, you know, he knows how to use his body, create a little space. Booner's always big on that. You know, how do you use your body, play the angles, and create space where there doesn't seem to be a lot. And he did that. He, he went he, yesterday against the Rockets. He drove past the hoop. And yeah, just yeah. a little head fake, and he got the guy off balance in the air, and then he flipped in a little hook over the guy. And it was a nice play. And I don't think I had the confidence in him to do that a year or two ago, you know? Yeah, he's not a high flyer by any stretch, but he's got a big body, and he's got a lot of offensive skill. Yep. So he can dribble the ball. He's never going to blow by you. But, but if he's got you about. off balance because you're closing out too hard, he can go by yeah. you. 
So exactly, yeah, he's not. But he's not gonna blow by you. No, he can go by you. He's right. just not gonna. I'm gonna put my head right. down and just beat you to the basket. But he's crafty in that way, and he's very skilled offensively. So he's giving you much more of a contribution. This is as deep a team as they've had since I can't remember when, so I'm not even going to bother to figure it out. I'll let you, let you worry about that crap because it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it, the fact is they legitimately can go nine deep and get significant contributions from each and every one of those nine guys. So I suspect that they can handle a little bit here and there if guys don't play. So maybe they could have the best of both. Maybe they can watch guys' minutes while still winning in the regular season and getting the number one seed. Well, they have rarely been this deep, and I don't, I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think the Boozer, Williams, Okur, Kirilenko group was this deep. I think they were about seven deep. The last time that they had nine or ten guys you could put on the court and knew that every guy had a skill they could bring that was useful was the late 90s when they were going to the finals. That are group you, was really deep. Are you including when they were bringing Rusty LaRue off the bench? I am not including that. That was about 2002 or three, I think. So... I'm not. Those were those were Maybe good times, though. Maybe it was There 99. were good times. <laughs> That's when we were getting going, baby. They yeah. were good. Rusty LaRue, 47 years old right now. Good times, man. Rusty LaRue had great stories about playing basketball in Russia. They were hilarious. It's just Rusty so... in Russia? Yes. Yeah, he played in Russia, and he had great stories. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, schedule adjustment. Joe Ingles is sliding back to 9 o'clock. Craig Bullerjack is sliding back to 9.30. Keep it tuned right here to 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. What Joe's doing is historic. You take, I think, at five threes, only Kyle Korver has ever had a better shooting season in the history of the league, which was interestingly on that 60-win Hawks team that the Jazz get compared to the most. I have a statistic I call points gained, which is you take the players' possessions or scoring opportunities in a night, comparing to what an average player would do with those. Steph's obviously number one in the league. Joe's the seventh most positively impactful offensive player in the NBA. The league still doesn't quite understand the value of 50% from three. Like, it's, it's a crazy number. It's game-changing, and it's why we win. I can make a pretty good argument Joe Ingles is our best offensive player this year. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Get your foursome together and sign up today for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. Sniggy. Yo. I got a question for you. What is that? What was the better throw, Joel Embiid or Zach Wilson in Pro Day? <laughs> Zach Wilson at Pro Day. It's the greatest throw ever. I mean, it was cool the way Roethlisberger threw that ball about 14 feet in the air over the back right pylon in the Super Bowl into the tiniest possible window for the touchdown catch and to win the Super Bowl. And it was about half as good as that throw Zach Wilson had against Air in Provo. <laughs> yeah, but how about Embiid, though? See, Zach Wilson's target was much bigger. Zach Wilson threw it across his body, 50 yards downfield, back towards the other side of the field, and still dropped it down the old elevator shaft and hit him right in the hands. Whereas Embiid didn't put the air under this. That's why it didn't go in. The shot was too flat. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to criticize an 80-footer at the horn 
that he had to shoot flat-footed with no momentum. But that shot was a little on the flat side. It was perfectly on line. Great distance to bank in. It was just too flat. If it had a little more arc, it would have banked in, and they would have gone to overtime. Can you imagine okay. if he threw in an 80-footer to force OT, and then they lost an OT? <laughs> Could have happened. Yeah, I mean, Could have, yeah. They were shorthanded. But just having the strength. To throw it that far on line. And the ability, the athletic ability, that was one of the best athletic plays I've ever seen. The strength yep. combined to be able to get it, it. It's not like a two-handed and you're moving and you hoist it from the waist. I threw in a half-court shot in CYO, all-star game, no less. An all-star game in CYO, which stands for Catholic Youth Organization, I'll have you know. And uh, I banked it in at half at uh, at half court. Place went nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was more impressive, Embiid's throw, or my baseline falling out of bounds hook shot at Jazz Media Day? Embiid. I knew you would say that. I'm not giving of, you anything. Out of raw, <laughs> raw jealousy. Straight on, 100% raw jealousy. <laughs> The best part was, and I wish we had tape of this, it was so epic. I have, I was out of the game at that point, and I was standing two to three feet away from Dennis Lindsay, and he was a little in front of me in my line of view. And the way his shoulders sagged and his head rolled to the side, he was already thinking, we are never going to hear the end of this. <laughs> his reaction was pure gold. I don't Walk know what was left better. Wing, comes off a pick to the middle of the lane, kicks out to the corner. It's PK with it. Five on the shot clock. Guarded by Anderson. PK with little room. Works to his left. Nothing there. Three on the shot clock. Rolls to the right side. A running hook from 22, and it's gone. And the yellow team wins it. PK raises his arm, high fives the crowd, and leaves the building, having hit the running hook on the right side. They've redone the building since then, but PK, <laughs> PK was shooting at the north end. He hits it, and he was on kind of the what would be the east side of the court if you were ever in there. And he turned, and you ran up the sideline, and you turned left and ran up the tunnel like Bo Jackson. <laughs> it was hilarious. And Dennis's reaction was spectacular. It was so good. And he got it just a split second in front of everybody else because that was the reaction pretty much going through the gym was, oh, boy, we're not hearing the end of this. And then when you ran up the tunnel, that just kind of that kind of locked in everybody's mind. Oh, yeah, he's going to milk this for a long time. How many years ago was that? You're still milking it. Oh, 10. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> that was just hilarious. <laughs> of, of all the stupid things, <laughs> they're, they're doing this. The stupid media day and media game, and you throw in a hook to beat a buzzer. And I don't remember who was on you, but whoever it ben was, Anderson. Oh, was he totally that, looked like he just said Anderson Gardner? Silly. <laughs> he he was like play by play. He called he Ben was, Anderson was gardening. He was right up against you, totally in your shorts, man. You had no space. You were just desperately just. Well, you create the hook shot from twenty. <laughs> I will say if Kareem had been in the gym, he would have run across the floor and given you a high five. He did call me later to congratulate me on the form. I believe that. Hit How by Chandler, sc- they don't call it. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is going to morph into lock moments now? Man, that's Why not? i got a whole cavalcade of these. I mean, days. think about it. Nobody here in Salt Lake Media has seen the sky hook more than me. Uh, probably right. not. You lived in the, in L.A. in the '80s, so and I yeah. had to. I was assigned as uh, a Doing, secondary writer yeah. for the Lakers many games over, and uh, 
saw it in person. Obviously, you saw all the games on television. It was a, talk about must see TV. That yes. that was my love of the '80s Lakers because I sat in there, the Daily Breeze newsroom, night after night after night, watching all those games. And uh, yeah, so I I modeled the shot after him. I, I I feel bad for Ben because I set him up thinking that okay he was guarding me real tight when I knew all along that I was just going to hit that baseline hook to win the game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a swish, too. It wasn't a it, fluke. It, <laughs> I didn't hit any part of the rim whatsoever. You it put the air underneath that. You, you did put the air underneath that ball that I said that uh, Embiid should have put under his 80-footer, which was incredibly <laughs> impressive from Embiid. I don't know that I've ever been more impressed with a missed shot. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. I guess Gor- Gordon Hayward had a great missed shot, right? That To, to fling yeah, in a half-quarter of the NCAA was, title game That was more what we've seen that a million times over, though. The the strength it takes from half-court. At, at half-court, you can kind of aim it and shoot it. At 80 feet, people are just heaving it. A basketball is actually pretty Flat-footed. heavy. And to throw a basketball 80 feet is really hard. Not lots. Of, go if you if you and your buddies who normally play go to a gym and try to throw in eighty footers today and recreate it. You'll find out how hard it is to get that off ball. a rebound, flat footed. Yeah, eighty feet. Oh, even if you just take it and you run up and throw it like a javelin or something, eighty feet's a long. Yeah, run. and you got to you got to get a rebound so your shoulders are to the back of the basket you're shooting at because you've got to get the ball first and then turn around like that and being able to throw it. It was more of a throw than a shot and almost be this close to having it go in. The fact that he got it online, it doesn't matter, but they should have given him two points. <laughs> the, the PGA wants to pl- pay players for popularity. How about the NBA for style? Have judges. That was worth one. That was worth two because it looks so pretty and so smooth. Come on, man. That was incredible. If I'm ESPN and all these shows they got going on today, I put that shot up and I put Zach Wilson's throw and say which was the better of the two. I can't believe that- you just decided that judges should be awarding points. You hate, you don't want your sports judged. It doesn't matter if it's uh, gymnastics, figure skating, diving. You don't want Yeah, judges. but they don't change the outcome. Just style points. I mean, they're not literal points on the board. Stop. They give them two points, and the Suns would have been fine. That's true. They were up by three. They were up three. No, and I would. That was because Zach Wilson had the best off-season football throw in the history of football. Did you see Herb Street laughing about that? That was hilarious. Herb Street said everything you and I had been saying about that. You got. He told him right on the on the interview on that show they did. He yeah, said yeah. that uh, you got more run for that than you yeah. got for any throw you made during the regular season. Yes, yes. And Zach just started laughing. He He's should. Like, yeah, I did. <laughs> You're right. I did. <laughs> and when he made that throw, that was why I drove ten hours uphill in the snow every day to Southern California to work out at Golden West College in Huntington Beach, California. I think that's where they made it, where they worked out. I could be wrong, but I think that's where it was. Well, I hope for his sake it was Huntington <laughs> Beach. That's a nice chunk of real estate right there. Yeah, I think Golden West is a... Nothing wrong with Huntington Beach. Sign oh, me up. Good fr- A good friend of mine, super tight, raised his family there and now is retired to St. George. And yes, he did buy cash. <laughs> And his son is a big-time volleyball player at Long Beach. Oh, really? 
Yeah, he and I, uh, along with his family, we watch. I was down there. I told you I was down there uh, last weekend, and we watch Long Beach play. He's got it uh, streamed it, and he put it on the big screen. So yeah, yeah. I've been a volleyball. I've been a volleyball fan for a long time. Having covering it a lot in California. You know, the funny thing is, I grew up in San Diego and really knew pretty much nothing about volleyball. And went to college and got hooked on it. It's easy to get hooked on. And if you like basketball, the odds are you'll like volleyball. There's, there's a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities. A lot of athletes cross over and play both. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I still remember one night in the dorms, everyone's like, what are you going to do? And everyone's going to the volleyball match. And I just like, what? The volleyball match? All right. Went and had a good time. Turned out Karch Karai was in town. Everybody was it's all It's one of my favorite uh, in-person sport, sporting events. As good as it is on television, I think it's awesome in person. In person. When you're right there, men or women, and you can just see the strength of these players and the speed of the ball yep. and how difficult it is to have to dig it, to have to return a serve, to get a serve over, not just you know just punch it over. I mean, I'm talking a jump serve and all that stuff. That's incredible athletic ability. But, yeah. And I think that Embiid showed incredible athletic ability. And that throw by Zach Wilson, you know, in a pro day, you're looking for something to distinguish yourself. And somehow Zach did it on that throw. That throw has gotten more run. Name me a throw that didn't count that has gotten more run in the history of ESPN. I don't know that there's ever been one. Or NFL Network, because didn't NFL Network televise? Who televised it? Was it, it was NFL, NFL Network? Network had it live when it yeah. ran. Yeah, and I've seen them... Uh, replay the pro day on NFL Network. Still, so they replay it because they don't have live television. And I don't think NFL Network, I don't think they, like Baseball Network, they uh, they go live during the off season. NFL Network doesn't do, I could be wrong on this, but they don't seem to do as much live stuff in the off season. I think they pick their spots. You know, I mean, they're yeah. going to be doing a lot of draft stuff. I think both of Obviously. them, both of them, do shows and record them, and then play them a gazillion times. I think they both do that. Um, and I, do they do as much stuff during the season too? I don't know. I don't tend to watch them that much. Uh, I mean, they have a live morning show. I've seen them. I've seen them uh, pump that up. Um, but MLB's got MLB Network's got the advantage of there's just more games and there's more content for them, so it's a little apples and oranges just because of the sports, right? And they're playing every day, yeah. So there's a reason to have a more of a, of a live presence. I understand that, but that throw by Zach gave him just a ton of run, and that shot by MB. I actually wish it would have gone in. It would. I don't know that I would have seen a more amazing shot outside of personally my. Baseline falling out of bounds, no, perfectly formed it. hook shot to win the game. Stop it. What do you mean stop it? <laughs> Why would I stop it? Just because you didn't make it and I did? Comparing yourself to Zach Wilson. Hilarious. <laughs> I was comparing myself to Joel Embiid. Still hilarious. <laughs> You're doing well with the hilarious. I thought I, I, I toned it down on the trash talk. I could have been like Larry Bird, buddy. That's probably true. I don't doubt that you have another gear. I don't think anyone should ever doubt your ability to trash talk. I could have gotten Ben's face, but no, I treated him as an equal competitor. <laughs> why would you get in Ben's face of all Because I made the shot over him. What do you mean, why? Joe Ingles gets in everybody's face every game. That's a true story. He got another tee. He dropped the big one in the post game. Holy cow, Joe, you're all over the map. 
He'll be on with us in about uh, 20 minutes. And he, he, he elbowed Olenek. I know. Come on, dude. You get out of town. You created space. You pushed him out of the way. It was a foul. I would have teed him up, too. I would have given him two tees. Early shower for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> As he continues to make three-pointers at an astounding rate. This is off the charts, man. This is, this is just beyond incredible. It's beyond words. Where are we going with this, Joe? It's like every shot now. You're expecting it to go in, and it seems like it's so pure, too. They're barely even touching the net. Well, Mike Conley addressed the thing that we have been talking about. He uh, talked about it in the postgame last night that uh, Joe's stats go up when either Donovan or Mike is out, and that now Mike and, and Joe, and we can talk with Joe about this, that Mike says he's talked to Joe about, hey, you can't just be scoring 30 or 40 points when I'm out. You know, we got to make sure that you stay aggressive and – and have opportunities when I'm back. So. That's what I said. It's over now. The idea of Joe being a decoy or just kind of standing around and making the pass that leads to the pass, that's all well and good. But Joe's ability demands high-level production. Now, you're not going to give it every game. Steph Curry doesn't give it every game. He had a phenomenal run, and last night he couldn't make a shot to save his life. It was, what, 2 of 14 from mm-hmm. 3, something like that? Yep. All right, fine. You're Steph Curry. You're the greatest shooter we've ever seen. And so if you have off nights, well, then certainly everybody else is entitled to. That, that, that's the law of numbers, as you like to quote. To, to a degree. The law of numbers for Steph Curry uh, is a much higher law of numbers because his ability is incredible. He's like Trevor Lawrence when it comes to throwing a football and shooting a basketball is what I've heard. And so still Joe has to give more because it's there. And it's not it's not the occasional Greg Ostertag, I can give you a big game every three weeks. We're well beyond that, wouldn't you say? Yes, I mean, he's shooting 49% from three. He's leading the league. And he's had a bunch of 20-point games. He's had three straight 20-point games while Donovan's out. And so the question is, how do they keep him involved? And I, and, and Conley didn't – it wasn't my question. And Conley – I wasn't actually even on the Zoom last night. I was, I was editing when I'm at the station. It's a different deal. And so I, I saw it afterwards. And Conley didn't really get into it. But I think that – for Joe in the playoffs, it's going to come down to if he's going to be aggressive, he's going to have to have the ball run in the pick and roll at some point in the possession, whether he starts it or not. I just don't think teams are going to leave him. So if you don't get him the ball up high early, there aren't going to be that many opportunities to get him the ball on that many possessions. Teams aren't leaving that guy. He is way, way too deadly a weapon to rotate away Yeah, from you him. can get it in transition, too. And I thought in, in the Houston game, and I mean, Houston's terrible, so I don't want to make too much of it, but I thought that, that that was a big part of what they did in Houston is he got the ball in transition. Once he got it early in the game, he got it to Clarkson in the corner for a three. A couple other times he set himself up and just hit it. Um, he, got a, he had a steal uh, in the game. I think it was third quarter. Yeah. And... Uh, and it was kind of like a semi-break situation, and Houston struggled to match up. And I think he actually gave the ball up and got it back and, and walked right into another three. You know, So when he gets the ball early, but if he's down in the corner and he doesn't have the ball, it's going to be hard to get him the ball. Not impossible, but it's going to be difficult. Teams are going to want to take that away. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that, but there's certainly obviously other ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's most impressive, and Thor was talking about it, and we've noticed it, 
over the years, his recent years, his ability to catch the ball at face level and shoot it. Yep. Right, and just go up rather than sort of reset and regather. Yep. Get it, shoot it, and have it have a great and excellent chance of going in. That's a skill that was developed through repetition, yeah, I he, believe. And he talked about, about that it. like three weeks ago when he was on with us. Yeah. That that's a lot of repetition in the gym to adjust the catch and release point. And it's also credit his teammates because they don't throw him the ball at his waist or at his chest. They know to throw him a pass on his forehead. And multiple guys have done it in games. And it's happened too much for I haven't heard anyone talk about it, but it's just happened too much to be a fluke. You know, they, they must have of uh talked about it, worked on it, and everyone's focused on it. Yes. You know, it's one of those details that Quinn talks about. And when he's not talking about defense, one of those rare offensive details he'll talk about, you know, that uh, that's the kind of stuff that they have to lock in here in the last uh, dozen games or so. Uh Uh-huh. All right, DJ and PK, Joe Ingles is coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The transferring and that sort of thing It's turning into the Wild West Listen to this tweet from Dick Vitale Players are informed School X will offer you if you get in the portal That violates why the rule was put into play It's not ideal And I understand their abuses But I don't think they overwhelm the freedom individuals should have Which they do have You can transfer wherever You just couldn't have a scholarship the next year at another well, spot that, For a lot of people that makes it very difficult Or you could have a scholarship and just not play You're still going to school It's up to coaches to make their programs attractive enough to keep their players. I think it's another excuse for money to change hands. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. The question of the day getting a lot of response and Laker fans are weighing in PK. That's when the first starts to fly. The Suns beat the Sixers to go 2-0 on their Eastern swing and keep the pressure on the Jazz. Are they forcing the Jazz to abandon any idea of resting players? And Parker posts, it's cute that you think it matters what seed the Jazz get. Rob says, I'm not worried what seed the Jazz get. We're going to have to face you come playoff time anyway. Parker says, well, assuming the Lakers are fully healthy. So he will concede that, but Laker fans weighing in. Is there any worse fan base than Laker fans? At Ra- the pro level, Raider fans. No, I don't. I don't think Laker Raider fans have a level of entitlement. No, I they mean, don't the, anymore. Raider fans have been through the ringer. They've moved all over, over the, the place. place, man. Can you imagine being an Oakland Raider fan and no. not once but twice? Yeah, I know. You wind up a storm and you over live one. ten hours away, and your team moved two hours. Doesn't matter. They moved to L.A. It's not the same. But you're not there either way. Doesn't matter. That's true. I'm not. Uh, and Oakland went to L.A. and then back to Oakland and now off to Las Vegas. Yeah, and, and th- hundreds of miles. And now, in this case, obviously a state. Jeff says, nah, in fact, we fell to the two spot. I'd rather face the Clippers in the second round, not the Lakers. Not having home court against the Suns would be irrelevant. If it came to that. That's oh. the thing. I think if it comes to that, it will be relevant. But I'm not convinced it will come to that. Yeah, but see, if if it comes to that, at that point, do we give the Suns respect? Or are we still disrespecting them? Well, I think generally the Suns will be disrespected. I don't think you and if I If they are. got to the third think, round, they would still be disrespected? They get to the conference final, and we're still thinking, yeah, but let's see what they can do in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> 
And they've gone to a place Chris Paul's if, never gone, and obviously none of the other guy. Well, Jay Crowder has, obviously, but most of the other guys did, haven't. If it's Suns-Jazz in the conference final, the loser will be, ah, see, they couldn't do it. And the, oh, winner, and the winner will be the <laughs> underdog in the finals. People don't believe in these two teams, uh, largely speaking playing. nationally. And if anything, the, the fan base that might be the second um, – Second on the list of believing in the Suns could be the Jazz fan base. Kind of like, yeah, they are kind of getting treated just like our team is. You know? Oh, <laughs> totally. Little, and so I think there's a, and I don't know, you could probably speak to it better. Uh, maybe the Suns fan base thinks the same thing about the Jazz. Like, hey, these two teams are running one, two. How come everyone's still focused on the Lakers and Clippers? It's because the Lakers and Clippers have the postseason pedigree and well, they've had injuries, and there's the feeling that they're resting slash coasting slash getting healthy for the playoffs. Phoenix has massive. L.A. Envy, mm-hmm. because it's not just the Lakers, it's the Dodgers. We don't have an MLB team here. Right. Is it, uh, and is it the colleges, too? Arizona and Arizona State to USC and UCLA? Arizona th- and UCLA more in basketball and ASC and ASU and USC in football? Well, SC, everybody thinks they have a rivalry with SC, for right. sure. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is going to join us in a few minutes. The Jazz coming off a win in Houston. they got Minnesota at home Saturday and Monday. The W's ought to keep piling up. Question is, will they stay in front of the Suns? Are the Suns going to lose again? Are the Jazz going to rest guys? Or are they going to be all in to stay in front of Phoenix? There are many questions. Lots of advice. Quinn Snyder can get a lot of advice from Jazz fans, and I'm sure he's craving that. Uh, and we got a lot of people, Jeff's one of them, saying, uh, in fact, if the Jazz fall to the two spot, I'd rather face the Clippers in the second round than the Lakers. Not having home court to the Suns would be irrelevant. There is a lot along those lines. Uh, this guy says this may not be the popular opinion, but if the Lakers remain in the 4-5 or five seed, I say let the Suns have number one. Then the Suns won't make it past the second round. Just dismissing them out of hand. Well, if the Suns won't make it past the second round, that means you get the Jet, the Lakers in the third round. What what the hell difference does that make? See? Look at you getting all logical. <laughs> so, Rado so, says the Jazz should just focus on the Jazz, whatever's best for them. Well, that's what it comes down wow, to. Of course. Is it best to have the one seed, or is it best to rest all your guys? And I think they've got rest built into the schedule. When they finish the regular season on a Sunday, they're not going to play until the following Saturday or Sunday. Probably Sunday, but we don't know that for sure. So there's going to be a lot of rest built in Ooh, before the playoffs. So the question have a is Sunday home game? Uh, they might in the playoffs. They've done it before. And Very it might rare. be Saturday. Sure, but if you're playing the team that just won the 8 9 game, if, they, if that 8 9 playing thing is on Thursday, maybe they'd make the team travel and play on Saturday, but I, I kind of think they're going to give them until Sunday. Screw them, man. Yeah, they might. I mean, we haven't seen this before, and the NBA hasn't really said what they're going to do, so I don't know. Well, neither do I, but it's very rare that the Jazz plays Sunday. It is. It, it is. Um, but with fewer fans in the stands, and I've, I mean, I don't know, it's all speculative. Maybe they could get up to a half-full building at that point. It's another month, more people vaccinated and all that stuff. So what you're saying, there's enough apostates that can – 
go to the game on they can Sunday. They can find their 10,000, and the people stay home will stay home. But <laughs> playoff games are sold out whenever they're playing, you know, Saturday or Sunday, and whether it's at noon or it's at 8.30, playoff games tend to sell out. Well, as long as Dwayne Wade is there, I don't care. Robert says... The panel on uh, NBA and TNT were all unsure about the Suns' playoff impact, but the Jazz need to get healthy. Best option is to build 20-plus point leads and then rest starters in the fourth quarter. Ah, yeah, that's a theory. And the Jazz were up by 30 in Houston, and with eight minutes left, Conley checked out and Gobert checked out, and they were done for the night. Most of the guys played uh, in that 25- to 30-minute range last night. I'd have to check, but... And they're not grueling minutes. No. But but Houston sucks. I mean, that's, you're yep. not gonna, I don't know that you're going to face a team as crappy as Houston. Even Minnesota is better than Houston. Right. Carl Anthony Towns along. Houston does not have a player as good as Carl Anthony Towns. So. And then you get Rubio and these guys when they go against their former teams. always makes me a little nervous. Right. Rubio's going to go shoot 50% from the yeah. field. Hey, where's that 25% from the field thing? Hand that over, Ricky. We've seen that a million times when guys go against their former teams. Mark Jackson was talking about that the other night. I mean, I think it's real. There's too many cases of guys playing above what they normally do to not think that it, there's not something there. So I, I certainly think they're going to beat Minnesota both games, but the point I'm making is it's not going to be as easy, I wouldn't think, as it was against the Rockets. And it's the, the Rockets have gotten what they were expected to have in the season. That's gone. And then even after they made all these moves – they don't even have that anymore because they got guys coming and going all the time. So they're basically down to their third team. DJ PK, the Joe Ingle Show is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union, where your future is our future. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic... And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. (laughs) With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Joey, 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 Joey for three. Yes. I couldn't understand any of that. You sounded like you were <laughs> drunk at a bar. <laughs> at 9.08 in the morning. You think I play for the Houston Rockets? What are you talking about? Boom, there it is. <laughs> Oh, boy. Been a long morning, fellas. (laughs) Joe, we have so many questions. I'm curious. You seem to be piling up the the technical fouls a little higher right now. You're just cutting loose. You've been holding all this in all these years. You're just going to let it go. A tee during the game, and you dropped the big one during the post-game Zoom session. You're just cutting loose, Joe. I didn't drop anything. The post-game was an honest mistake. That was a... You did know, react that way. Why. Yeah, you did react that way. Oops. I've never sworn in my life. <laughs> um, I swear you never sworn. <laughs> I swear I've never sworn. Um, I actually, I the possession, I, I actually, it sounds very stupid because it costs money, but I was trying to get a technical on the first possession because 
uh, I can't remember who the player was, whoever it was, drove down and smacked me in the face while, while he had the ball. And I was the referee was right there, and I was like, what are you, like, what are you looking at? You can't, like, you can't smack someone in the face. It's not UFC. We're playing basketball. <laughs> and I, so I, like, yelled at him all the way down the court as loud as I could, and I, I didn't swear, but I used some uh, aggressive aggressive tones um, and he didn't give me one and then I a few like a few possessions or whatever it was later I all I said to him was like not like nothing I like, kind of laughed and said like something about the call and I didn't swear and he teamed me up for that so I was like I had forgotten about it I got over it but it is what it is do you know what you can get away with or can't get away with based on who the referee is? For sure. Um, and not necessarily like who they are or, or how they referee, but just, I mean, I don't know how their schedule works, but you, you obviously have some referees more than others. And um, I think in general, like, in general life, you just kind of get along with some people better than others. And there's some guys I know that I can joke around with or maybe talk a bit more aggressively or ask a question kind of more to the point where some of you have to, like, kind of beat around the bush to, like, get to the point you want to get to. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a lot of general life. Like, you, some guys I, I know well, and I, th- and I think... A part of them as well. Like they have to know you. Even by now, these are things, and um, yeah, I mean, it's all part of the game. Renee just won't be able to uh, go shopping this week. <laughs> you're out of money. Okay, good one, <laughs> dude. You're underpaid, man. Fifty percent from three. Renegotiate. <laughs> I know, where's Dennis? Get Dennis on the hotline. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> no, I'm very uh I'm doing I'm doing very well. I'm happy to, uh, I'm not gonna complain about that part of loss. So uh, I'm curious as we see you talking, and now you know people are used to hearing you on the radio, and they know we've asked you about you know certain interactions you've had with fans or opposing players or uh, coaches or refs or whatever. And so I do get a pretty steady stream now. I've asked Joe about this or that, but the thing we've never talked about, and I'm curious about, is when you're yapping at other players, and it seemed like in Houston you were yapping at other players, hitting some threes early in the game. But I'm curious how often you started, and how often other people yap at you, and you're kind of and then you hit a three and you yap back at them. Are you starting all of this, or are there other guys who are, are talking to you and get the ball rolling? Um, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it would be close to probably like 50-50. Um, there's obviously um, no word of a lie that I don't mind talking and obviously having, having fun with it and, and kind of enjoying it. And then, um, yeah, I mean, there's times that stuff comes to me and I'm like perfect exactly what I needed right now Hmm. Um, like the other game a few weeks ago or whenever it was Um, but yeah I mean last night was a bit different I mean having I really wanted to talk to the bench the whole time because I wanted to yell at like Garner and Dante and um, my 
Australian assistant coach is actually um, on the front of the bench for Houston as well. So there's a few guys over there I knew, and um, I wasn't really over on that side of the court too much. But um, yeah, a little like look, probably a little bit, probably fifty fifty. This three-point shooting obviously is impressive, and it's gotten better as you've been in the league now. I'm wondering, going back, because you were a professional for, what, eight, nine, ten years before you came to the NBA, were you known as a three-point shooter, or is this something you've developed since you've been in this league? Uh, there's no question it's taken a, a leap or a strides or whatever. Um, I always felt, I've kind of said it before, like I always felt like I was kind of, like good at everything, but I wasn't. I was never great at anything. Um, like I could shoot a little bit, but I was streaky. I could play pick and roll, but I was like turnover prone a little bit. I could play pick and roll, and I could finish a little bit. Like my defense would be good, and then it would be bad. Um, and I think part of the, especially the offensive end in the NBA. Like, I mean, I've got my own coach. Like, <laughs> I can call. Brian Bailey now and say I want to go get shots up if I want and he'll come in and rebound for me in Europe or in the NBA when I was there like we had two maybe three coaches for 12 to 15 players so that personal development or individual development is so much harder to do there because you there's just not the the, the amount of like numbers of, of coaches to be able to really do it if you want to shoot pre or post game or pre or post practice sorry you are usually doing it with a group of guys. So you might have four of you there and you're all shooting, so you're getting 40 shots instead of 300. Um, so I think the, like the, just the consistency of me being able to go in and, and work on my game, and, and, and I think it's why you see so many NBA players develop and, and become, like some people say, so surprising, or they're so surprised that player X is so much better this year at... at whatever, finishing with his right hand. Well, like, he probably works on it every day with his coach. Like, it's, it's so much easier to... You know, obviously, if you're committed and, and, and want to get better, it's so much easier to, to do that when you've got someone you can call on at kind of any point, any time you want. Um, I did say to Bailey last night, we didn't land till... We landed at, like, one thirty this morning, and I said to Bailey as we are getting off the plane, like, 6 o'clock shooting tomorrow? And he was like, "Hell no!" Nah. So <laughs> I know I know he won't come in that early, but he'll come in basically whenever I ask him. So I think I think that honestly plays a, a massive part in it because you just get to to really kind of hone in on things that I mean we've talked about it every off season. I've tried to do like add like one new thing to my package or one new or get better at one thing that I wasn't good at last year that a team scouted for me and. They were floaters, they were the ball fake, they were shooting going right to my right, all, all those things. So, um, it makes it very easy when the convenience of, of coaches and facilities and all that are, are so accessible. Joe Ingles joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So Mike Conley in his post-game Zoom session was asked about uh, your production going up when either Mike was out of the lineup or Donovan was, and then going down if both those guys were back. And he kind of giggled and said, Joe and I were just talking about that. And you're giggling now just like he was. <laughs> yeah, we uh Mike and I have a bit of a, I don't even know what you call it, but we would joke about the fact that 
like, if he was out, I would play well, or if I was out, he would play really well, but we couldn't, like, we were never great or hadn't been, like, like, we would play better, obviously, like, when one of the guys, when each other was out, but then when we were both in, we just couldn't make it. I wouldn't say we were playing, we were playing bad or anything like that, but not to the level that we were. And, and it's, I mean, some of it's very obvious, like, Mike's our starting point guard and has the ball more, and when he's out, I have the ball. Like, there's some very obvious things, but we've actually made a... And, and it's not... as effective as we can when we're both out there, and I think we both realise at different times of the games that we can both handle, and off the ball, he can get me off the ball, we can obviously both space the floor for each other, and um, the last few games, we've we were we were laughing about it because we were kind of saying like oh fi- like finally we were both out there and we were both able to be um, both able to play well and obviously we won and um, I mean the obvious, the obvious fact is we've got to throw Donovan back in too so <laughs> um, but no it's just a, it, it was a bit of fun um, it obviously shows with our record that. Neither of us have to be superstars at the same time. What one of us can not play as well as the other. We've got so many weapons. So yeah, just a bit of a, a running joke between uh, myself and Mike. So last time we talked to you, Joe, the Jess has some big news with bringing Dwayne Wade aboard on that. Uh, multiple uh, minority owners, including one from your own country. What do you think this means to the Jazz to bring somebody like a Dwayne Wade in as at least a somewhat of a part ownership? I mean, it's it's massive, I think. I think um, for him, uh, I think he said it to the media or someone had asked him about it or whatever it was. But, I mean, if he wanted to go and buy into basically any team, I think basically any team would have taken him. There's no question that um, if, a, if a guy of, of, of that stature and what he's done in his career and the, the presence that he brings, um, it was funny, Elijah Hughes, our young guy, was like, I can't believe like, he was one of my favourite players growing up and now he's like, quote unquote, really like paying his bills to a certain extent. He's paying his salary for a part or part of his salary, however whatever much uh, he, he bought in for, which is, it's pretty crazy because, I mean, I, even to, like, when I first got in the league, I was playing against him. Like, we, we got to play against this guy and however long later, you want to say, a couple of years later, he's, I think he re- retired two years ago now. Mm-hmm. This is his yeah. second year. Um, he's part owner of an, of an NBA team who just got sold for a very uh, big number. So, um, I think it's awesome for our organisation. I think it's awesome for, for, for Salt Lake City and Utah itself. Um, the, the off-court stuff with the, the social justice and the, everything that Ryan Smith has talked about wanting to do and, and all that. Dwayne Wade's a, a massive advocate for all of those things as well. So I think that brings a, a another um, another voice and, and all that from a, a very high level. But I, um, I mean, I... If you think about it, I don't think there's, like, you can't even, you couldn't even mention it, a negative about it. So, um, yeah, it was really cool to, to kind of see him and hang out with him for the, the couple of days he was here. And, um, 
obviously we'll be, be seeing him a lot more. I think he's based in LA now. Um, so we'll, he's right around the corner and uh, we'll, we'll be seeing him a lot more. So it's exciting for, for, for all of us. So does he come to practice? Does he hang out in the locker room on game nights? I mean, it's a very small sample size and I get that, but how, how much were you interacting with him in the, in the last week? Yeah, well, I think we, we saw him, um, or Ryan announced it to us the day, a few days, whatever, a few days before that, that it was happening, um, just so that we didn't have to read about it from uh, your Twitter account with 35 followers. Um, then uh, he obviously came to that, whichever game it was, the Indiana game, I think it was. Um, yeah. So he was obviously around the locker room a little bit, um, was in the, the post-game meeting. Um, so he was around. Guys were able to talk to him. He was, he was very accessible to, to questions and, and all that. I, I do have some, some questions for him at some point when we get a minute. So it'll be um, – yeah, I mean, I feel like regardless of who you are, where you are, I think he'll be as, as accessible as he can in, in terms of questions and media and, and doing all that. He, he's done it his – his, basically his whole life, so I don't think that'll change. So it's a, like I said, it's a it's a really cool um, thing for us all to, to have and to be able to use in terms of, of what he's been through. He's, I mean, he's a, he's a champion. He's he's one at the highest level. So it's um, yeah, it's a, it's exciting times. And a lot of it was uh, from the jazz fan perspective, and that's who we talk to every day. It's like, oh, here's an African-American who's going to help us bring in African-Americans because Salt Lake is viewed as a place where they're not comfortable and they not would not want to be interested in. And I've always thought about, yeah, I've always questioned that because we've been here, we've been doing the show for almost 20 years, and we've a lot of former players have come back and they're African-Americans and say they loved it here. Carlos Boozer, who didn't leave on the best terms, says that he liked it here and it was a good place. So I always felt like that was overblown. Now that you've been here for a good long while and been a real important part of the community, and you're obviously you're a Caucasian guy, but what's your perspective as far as what you see as far as do they need somebody like Dwayne Wade to help them get black players in, or is this place already so, a place where they would want to be? Um, I mean, I was, it's funny because I, and I've said this before to you guys, I think like I, I never even knew where Salt Lake was. Like when right. I was on the plane going to the Clippers um, or from the Clippers to LA to, to Salt Lake, oh, I had to look up like how long my flight was, where I was flying. I, I just didn't, growing up in Australia, it wasn't a destination that I thought I would have. It's like the LA is New York, Chicago, the, the biggest cities and, um, since obviously since being here, I think, uh, and uh, I mean, I think it's fairly well. Like originally, when I got seven years ago, when I got here, it, it was it was viewed difficult or hard or whatever the reasoning w- was to get an African American player or a, a black athlete, whoever, whatever you, um, whatever you want to say. But like it was, it was more it was more difficult. I think people, I don't know especially early on, like, I don't know where that view came from. I don't know how it started. You know, maybe it started back in the day. Like, who knows? Um, that's probably a, a longer story to have. But I think as our teams got better and players have come, we've been we've out of crew. We, we obviously drafted some and drafted Donovan and, and guys like that. But Mike Conley 
didn't necessarily cheer. We traded for him, but he he could have easily said he didn't want to come. Well, sounds like we just lost Joe right there, but I get where we were going with that. Doc will try to reconnect him there. Let me finish that thought. We were just about out of time with Joe anyway. And if, if Dwayne Wade can help break down, even if it's just a little bit of a barrier, see, it's I think, awesome. And I, see, I think that's where I think that's where it is. There's, and we've been over this on free agency. You know, everybody's situation is individual. To say, you know. Guys, group X, you know, African-American players who grew up in the U.S. And money matters, playing times matter, prior relationships with teammates or coaches matter. So you got to factor all that in. Joe, we lost you right there. You were just saying Mike Conley easily could not have come, and then it just dropped. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I think uh, you guys need to upgrade your phone service over there. <laughs> um, but no, I, and I, don't, I just don't think – I think you were kind of saying it then maybe towards the end of that, but – it just wasn't a destination, I don't think, for, for the... I, I was having a conversation with someone one time here and they'd said that they... I can't remember who the player was, but it was an African-American player and he went to do clinics and whatever, like junior jazz or whatever it was out out in, out in like, a little while out and it was kids and, and adults were saying that they were... This guy was the first black person they'd seen in person. They'd watched a game before or, or TV or whatever, but it was the first... And he was, like, kind of caught back by it just because, like, obviously it's, I think at some point for all of us, we've all <laughs> interacted in some way. So I think there was probably some, I don't even know if they're stereotypes or not, but some things about Soul Lake that, that people didn't want to come. And we've always said, like, we've said as as our family, Renee and I, and, and guys now talk about it in our team, like, once you get to Soul Lake, it's, I think it's very different to what you, people sometimes perceive from from either not coming here or or just visiting, um, living here seven years now. Like it's it's a it's a pretty cool place. It's a special place. But um, yeah, I mean if if Dwayne Wade sitting on the phone to to player whoever and and that helps us get someone, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it any day of the week. But yeah. um, I think with with what Ryan's doing and building, I don't think, um, regardless of, of skin color, race, anything like that, uh, religion, whatever it is, I think uh, I think Salt Lake's a, a place that, that guys would want to come to. Joe, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again after your next technical foul. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure. I'm not getting another one. Renee wasn't too happy with me this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Say say hi to Renee and the kids for us. I, I shall. All right. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, guys. All right. There's Joe Ingles. He joins us every week here. Renee, tell him to dial it back on the technical fouls. I know. Jeez. <laughs> oh, man. But it's, it's true what he says about, you know, it's, the league's so international, depending on where you grow up, you know, well, why would you think about Salt Lake City? I mean, certainly for the international players, but even for the U.S. players who grow up on the East Coast, think how many towns back East that people in the West don't necessarily think about or go to or have any idea, you know, pick a random city. You know, have you ever, sure, have you ever been to— Sure, I understand all that. But when it's presented with the opportunity, 
uh, uh, and if Dwayne Wade can help you yep. realize that this is a great opportunity, that's all we're asking for is just have a shot, and then the player decides. Because if you have a shot, you're you're going to get some of them, and they're going to be happy here like so many of them have. All right, coming up, Craig Bowlerjack is going to join us, and we'll talk uh, talk jazz with Bowler. He had the pleasure of uh, calling that blowout, and he, he might have a couple more in front of him. We'll have to see how that plays out. We'll talk with Bowler coming up next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK and Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. Bowler, good morning. Hello, hello. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Well, good. I'm glad Joe warmed up the stage for me. <laughs> He's, your warm-up act. He's your warm-up act. He's your warm-up act. I got him last week to warm up, and now he uh, he warmed up the act. That, it's, that's good. It's team play. That's the important. Yeah, thing team, play. team play. So, Buller, these games are obviously not just Houston, but the ones going forward looking a little lopsided. What are you looking for in here, if anything? Clearly, the Suns a week from tomorrow is going to be a big game. Everybody's looking forward to that, I would think. But between now and then, uh, storylines are a little thin. Yeah, you know, you got Minnesota uh, home and away, and then uh, Sacramento, and then I'm looking at Phoenix. the calendar, and then it's a Phoenix Suns team that runs and runs, and the speed of the backcourt of Chris Paul and Devin Booker has been an issue, and I think backcourts have been an issue for the Jazz that have speed. Um, you know, even the Blazers, even though the Jazz have had some luck there, but yet speed is something the Jazz struggle with getting back defensively or in transition off missed threes. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, look, the, the Jazz are playing without Donovan. So as Joe has said, even in this postgame last night when I was driving home, was, look, nothing changes. We still run the same type of offense, and we just, you know, plug in people that, that – uh, obviously are going to get the job done. Joe's played really well. I mean, and Mike uh, has, 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 has been phenomenal uh, running the show with Joe in the backcourt. So, look, it's, it is what it is, and the Jazz will have to figure out how to slow the tempo. Pickup points is always something Quinn Snyder speaks of. So, and you have, to, you have to grab a few offensive rebounds. The ball has to drop in a spot where maybe you got a little luck and you're there. So all those things come into play, but I think from now until then, it's just you know steady as she goes. Uh, try to continue to have space uh, between uh, you know the Suns and the Jazz. It's a game and a half. They won a big one in Philly last night. Uh, so uh, they've got a tough schedule, mind you. Uh, they've got a lot of road games ahead. I believe it was eleven, uh, so or now ten. So you know down this stretch run. They're they're going to have to you know play good basketball themselves, and maybe they look in their they're looking over their shoulder at the Jazz and seeing how they're doing as well. But uh, you're right. Next next week uh, could decide the number one seeding in the West, and basically number one seeding 
in the NBA um, who has home court all the way to the finals if by chance one of those two teams get there. So how much do you think they're paying attention to what the Suns are doing? Well, I think they have to, PK. But look, they'll tell you they're not, that it's one, you know, it, it's it's the typical approach of one game at a time, as Quinn has said, getting better as the season goes on. But look, uh, you've got 13 games to play. You know who you are. And, you know, you know you can shoot the three. Uh, you know that you have a, a lot of weapons. You, I think you're finding out, too, that you even have, you know, some good depth when needed, right? Um, some of these guys are jumping off the bench. Ilya Sova uh, had, a, had a nice game in, in L.A. against the Lakers. Kind of like tells you what we thought he could, you know, he could bring if you give him 20 minutes or so. Uh, Jarrell Brantley, Mieoni. Uh, I still think Matt Thomas obviously hasn't found his shot with the Jazz. Feels like maybe he's rushing the shot a little bit when I watch him. But I think with Donovan out, it also proves PK that you know here is a two-time All-Star um, who is a top-shelf player in this league. But you can continue to win with depth and guys like Joe and Mike getting the job done. Rudy's defense. Uh, and Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. So, I, I mean, I still feel like the Jazz are as competitive as they, as, as they have been all year long. But, yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be nice to put Donovan back in uh, the lineup when, when the time's right for that ankle. No matter what they say, actions speak louder than words. And you guys got a hilarious photo submitted. You know, where are you watching? And so Donovan sends in a photo, and he's got these four screens set up, and he is just binging on the NBA, right? He had the the Jazz game up, of course, and he had the Warriors and Washington up, which – you know, there's a lot of good players in that matchup, and uh, the Warriors are potential first-round opponents, so I get why he's watching that. And he's yeah, got the Knicks yeah. in Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's sure. really hot in the East, and the Knicks are his hometown team, and they're on a winning streak, so I get that. And sure enough, in the bottom right corner, he's got the Suns playing the Sixers. Absolutely. So, you know, that's, his film, that's film work, too, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's professional curiosity. It's uh, fandom. I mean, he very much in his tweets, you can see his his fandom when he's watching you know different games and different players. So it's it's all those things rolled into one. But they're very aware of what the Suns are doing. He's got that game up in the fourth quarter. He's watching it. Sure, sure. You know what? I I really enjoyed the fact that he jumped on and had some fun. It tells you the personality of Donovan Mitchell, and you know to talk to him, and then he responds with another. Uh, you know, stop it, Joe. I mean, Ingles was so hot last night from three yet again, six at ten. And, you know, Gobert. I mean, it, it's, it tells you the leadership and how he is a loose guy with, you know, and a cheerleader for this team, right? He's not playing. I think a lot of times, you know, PK, DJ, if you're injured, the biggest issue you face is the disconnect because you're not a part of it. And, I think Donovan's doing his best to stay a part of it while he while he rehabs. So I thought it was good for him. Probably good good medicine in a way to be involved and then to shoot out a tweet like that and for us to pick it up. I mean the fans love it and that's who Donovan is. I think we got a, even a bigger taste of, of it last night by just a simple tweet and that photo uh, of showing what he how he spends his time tells you not only fandom as you said, DJ, but also doing the work observing uh and you know he sent out a tweet later about trey young having having a lower leg injury and so yeah he's well aware of what's going on and he's studying his opponent for sure 
So with Mitchell aboard for the next few years contractually, and I would assume beyond that, and he's a young, dynamic guy, all sorts of charisma, you got Dwayne Wade aboard now to at least a degree. To what degree, I'm not sure, but at least he's around. His name is attached to the franchise. Ryan Smith is a younger owner. I think this is the youngest ownership group in the NBA. Can we put to bed all this nonsense The players don't want to be here? I think it's another huge step, PK, in that in that process. And I think Ryan's smart enough to realize that you know he wants to make changes, and Dwayne Wade uh, obviously wants to come aboard. I, I wasn't aware of their friendship. And, I mean, Ryan obviously becomes a billionaire by connecting a lot with a lot of different people, and Dwayne Wade obviously one of them. And I think Ryan felt like it was a, an incredible idea to try to. If maybe Dwayne reached out, but the conversation seems like, look, why don't you come aboard and let's make change together? And I think that's exactly what what uh, the two have done. It's it's obviously in its in its infancy, but I, I don't think you can look away from the impact that Dwayne Wade will have not only with this franchise, but in the ability to reach out beyond the Jazz to bring players or entice them to look. And I think that's a good thing all the way around. So does that impact Donovan's decisions down the road? I would say absolutely. Rudy, absolutely. And others, uh, yes. And so maybe this is that step that a lot of people have been waiting for. Some turned their nose to it. I get it. But also, this is a time of change. And you have to educate yourself on the reasons why and move forward. And I think Ryan is in that position as an owner in this league uh, to, to bring in a minority uh, ownership uh, with Dwayne Wade that the league is trying to um, open the doors to. And Ryan stepped through it, and so did Dwayne Wade. Um, it's an interesting time, right? And I think it's a good move, and I think it only helps solidify the jazz in the NBA recruiting and also retaining players that are under contract. And that's part of the reason why I think uh, this younger ownership group has a little bit more insight now of where they want to go to the next level, right? The Miller group brought them there multiple times to the, to the front porch. And with Carl and John, it was a, another time, obviously, in the NBA, and times do change. And I think Gail maybe realized that. And that's why Ryan might be, uh, well, you know, he's the owner and, it's it's the right time, maybe for change, and that's where the Jazz are going right now. So we have been debating, discussing, analyzing the race for number one, and there are many questions, and we don't have a lot of time with you, so I'm going to throw out several, and you can attack whichever ones you want. Okay. How badly do the Jazz want one? Would they be willing to hand the Suns one? Because, well, that probably means the Lakers are Nuggets in the second round. So good luck with that. Would they yep. prefer the Lakers or the Clippers? Or do they not care? They know the tests are going to be massive, regardless of who they play. And when Quinn says they need to be playing their best basketball, he knows they need to be playing their best basketball because anything less than that will get them beat by somebody at some point and possibly sooner rather than later. Uh, DJ, those are all incredible uh, bullet points of interest to me because you could drop to two and maybe help yourself. But in, in the jazz way of doing things, unless now they totally take a different track, right? Because the, the, the way it was, and we were just talking about the way it was and what it is now, we're going to find out. 
Do you arrest players? Do you see analytically which the Jazz have brought in multiple individuals to help with analytics about rest? Obviously, they're studying the, 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 the Phoenix Suns schedule compared to what they're doing. And so, you know, look, LeBron's coming back. AD is going to give it a shot and see how he stands with the calf and the Achilles. And look, the Clippers have Kawhi and, uh, and Paul George. It's not easy in the West, no matter how you cut it. But it is about getting out of the first round. It is about getting into the second. And it is about getting a shot at, excuse me, at, at the Western Conference. So to answer your question, I'm going to wait and see, too. I think there's a lot of different ways they're approaching it. But, again, it's about one game at a time. I know people get tired of hearing that. But you know what? Do the, do the Suns have issues themselves down the road? I mean, I, I don't think the Jazz really want to help them. But I tell you, DJ, it is an interesting thought. If you're looking at your first round, second round opponent, uh, how does it play into your hands better? And look, a lot of teams have jockeyed themselves at times, and why not the Jazz? But I will say the one positive is the number one seed in the NBA gives you home court throughout. And we know the power of this Jazz fan base and what's happening this year on the floor at Vivid Arena. They've lost just three games. Those are Carl and John days, by the way, at Old Delta Center. And this fan base will start to trickle in more and more as time goes on. And maybe into the playoffs, it obviously may jump even more, a few more thousand fans. I think it plays into the Jazz hands perfectly. But uh, the analytics of it are still in the hands of the Jazz, and it'll be interesting to see what direction they go. So what do they got now, 5,000? Is that what they're allowed in, roughly? I think it's 5,600, PK, 56. and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, again, I know nothing. I think there's hopes and probably being guided by, you know, health officials in the state of Utah and most most importantly what the NBA is also, uh, you know, their their input as well and what this the state of Utah's COVID issues and the, the height of infection. Obviously, as we decide who decides to get uh, vaccinated plays an impact uh, part of this too. And so again, I think it's, it's moving parts PK. I really do. I'm not sure where they want to go. I mean, I'm sure they love to have, you know, 10, 12,000 in for the playoffs, if not a packed house, but I think we still may be, you know, a, a jump or two away from that. But I think the progress is being made, but I tell you, man, just having the 5,600 or 6,000, in the stands, you can feel the difference from what it was at the beginning of the season. And, um, you know, our fan base, the Jazz fan base, has always been intense and vocal. And I think it does play into the Jazz hands if they do grab the one seed. You know, I'm not sure, again, you know, how you break it down, if it's best to be two. There's something about being one because you've been there all season long. And then is there a, is there a doubt that goes through your mind uh, if you drop to two? Mm-hmm. So all those things come into play, I really believe. Uh, But, man, what a season it's been. And you're battling through Donovan now out. You know, the Lakers have done the same thing with two of their their top key players. The Jazz have been one of the healthiest teams in the league this year. And, uh, you know, there's less than a month, what, three and a half weeks left in the season. So, as I like to say, buckle up. Because I think this is going to be an incredible run uh, and obviously a disappointment if the Jazz don't get into round two and beyond. But, Look, I think I think this team, as we saw, DJ and PK, they've been focused from the bubble, and I think we've seen most of that this year. There's been a slip or two, but look, that happens in the course of, 
a truncated 72-game schedule. They're playing fast and furious, and this season is going to come to an end pretty quick into the playoffs. The 16th isn't far away, May 16th, and then the 22nd is when the playoffs begin. So, wow. it's And then all of a sudden when you get into June, you're going to have another season start in October. I mean, it's, it's coming at you with the Olympics in between. Uh, it's a lot of basketball. Bowler, we appreciate it as always, and you and Joe get together and decide who wants to be the warm-up pack next week. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll trade it uh, off and on. Uh, PK, though, I think you could warm us up a little bit too. Uh, oh, a easily. Or two. A little yeah. rush or whatever, you know, rush. Tom Petty. Whatever yeah. it might be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, bring the guitar. So, yeah, well, I'll let Joe decide. You know, Cardi B, even. I don't want to get, you know, Joe's Joe, and I, I can't get a technical foul, so that's you know, I'll let him do that. <laughs> uh, I think broadcasters have gotten, I think there's some been ejected. <laughs> I think yeah, I'm up off the out. floor now, so I, he'd have to hear me right, really yeah. good. I'd have to get a megaphone yeah. out there and yell at it. But that, uh, that protects you from yourself there and all your worst does. inclinations. Absolutely. Yeah, hey. I'll let Joe. I'll let Joe pay that fine. Thank you, Bowler. All right, guys. See you soon. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over, almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback right now. What do you have to say about everything in this show? Gwen says, are there archived episodes of Joe Ingalls so I can listen later? Yes, there are, Gwen. Go to 1280thezone.com, search Ingalls, and a lot of content will come up. It's right there for you. Amazing. Russ says, as a wise analyst said, you rest your players by taking care of business on weaker teams. With Donovan's injury, we can do that as well, but our other starters shouldn't be seeing more than the 25-28 minutes per game next two games against those pesky Timberwolves. Okay. Clarkson played 28, Joe played 29. Those were the big numbers in Houston. Most guys played 25 or 26. Yeah, that's good. We've got, uh, we've got. Uh, should the Suns, should the Jazz rest players or abandon it because the Suns are winning? Justin says no, they shouldn't rest, but they should start Ingles over Royce. To which Larry says no, Royce is the perfect four for the Jazz starting lineup. He matches up against the best offensive players, a good rebounder, and he doesn't take shots away from the other starters. Joe coming off the bench provides great shooting and ball handling while the starters rest. Well, they're in first place with the best record, so I probably wouldn't mess with it right now. That kind of logical thinking will take you places, PK. <laughs> I'm already there. Uh, we've got a lot of people weighing in on whether the Jazz want to play the Lakers or the Clippers in the second round. We can probably delve into that in a future show, PK. Well, I say the Jazz are so good, we pay a combination, the best of the Lakers and the Clippers. <laughs> nice. An L.A. All-Star team. Yeah. All right, Denver's feeling disrespected right about now, but that's for another show. When you lose Jamal Murray, what else do you expect, though? I do believe PK had the Nuggets record without Jamal Murray earlier in the show. 4-0. 4-0. Hands and Scott are coming up next. They will continue this discussion. We'll see you tomorrow from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.